Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Everybody, welcome to another episode of True Crime and Cocktails Famous Fatalities Edition. I am your host, Christy Oxborough, and with me as always, the judge to my Blanche, the reason we're all here, Lauren Ash. How you doing? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm 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 good. I, I have I mean I'm here. I have no complaints. Sure. I uh you know life is the way that it is and oh lord that that covid's just not going away uh but our province yeah. is pretending it has so we've just opened up everything's open and we're all just living our best lives and by that i mean i'm no longer leaving my house so there's <laughs> there's that but i am i don't know if we can even see it but i'm sporting a new i'm a blanche necklace oh gorgeous which, uh, i have not done yet on here and uh, i've got one of the zip-ups, it's a really thin, like, almost t-shirt material. Yes. I'm not going to lie. Too much information, folks. I'm sorry, but I'm not wearing a top underneath, and I'm living for it. <laughs> you know? I don't. I think we've passed the point of being too much information on this show, to be honest oh, with we you. Have. I, we yeah, have. <laughs> it's just, we are who we are, and that's yeah. why they're still here. Um, mm-hmm. If you're new to us, buckle in. <laughs> Well, I love that because yeah. I am also wearing uh, a new item from the merch store, yeah. which is the oh. Peaches Bad Bitch t-shirt. Now, these, of course, feature my dog, Peaches. She, I, I took a photo of her accidentally making this hilarious face with her tongue, and it kind of reminded me of like a Cardi B moment. Yeah. It was just a real like, ah, you know? And yeah. so then I just thought Bad Bitch, uh, which is something I also identify with personally, and made the shirts, and I, I've gone a little cuckoo bananas. You can get these on T-shirts, crop tops, bathing suits, uh, notebooks, tote bags. Mm-hmm. But the good news is that for the month of July, 10% of all of the profits we make on any of the Peaches Bad Bitch anything goes to Friends of Milo, which is the rescue that saved Peaches' life 
And I think that's nice. So uh, truecrewmerch.com, you can get the necklace, the thin hoodie, uh, all the peaches stuff. Check it out. I love so many things. I I love how, without even meaning to, what a beautiful segue and plug into our store. You did, you nailed it. Nailed <clears throat> it. It felt like it had been planned. Ladies and gentlemen, people, it, it, it was not planned. <laughs> well, I, I am going to say I did write down what I was going to, I have like a script that I oh. print out whenever I'm on of this course. side of things. I'm literally always on this side. Chris, you know what I mean. <laughs> and so, and I'll just add in little notes of things that per change per episode. This time I went off sheet. I already don't remember what I've said. That's the problem with this. Once that ring light goes on, my brain is like, I can only remember for this second. If that ring light turns off, poof, it's gone. Just yeah, gone. So I'm not going to remember that, but I'll watch it again uh, tomorrow and either kick herself or just be like, you know what? She is who she is. Um, I also am living for the Peaches Bad Bitch. Thank you. I, and immediately I was like, well, obviously I need a shirt. It's turned into, oh, and then I need a notebook and then I need a a tote. And do I try a crop top? I might be ballsy enough to try a crop top. You should. Because I'm thinking... I'm thinking a crop top with those super soft pajama shorts that you got me. I'm like, yep. I, I want to spend a day in that. <laughs> and by that, I mean also in my bed. Yeah. You know, I get that. So that feels right. So peaches might be my first. We'll see. I like that. We'll I've see. been reclaiming crop tops over the past like year-ish. Because for me, it was, I feel like crop tops were really big when we were like, like the early 90s, I feel like they were sure, in. yeah. And my God, again, I mean, I know that this is a theme I always talk about, but I was so, so little and I thought I was so, so big. And so I felt very self-conscious and I never really wore them. And again, looking back, I'm like, you should have been wearing nothing during that time. I mean, I was young, so I, of course, yeah, should of have course. been safe. But I think, yeah. you know, I think back and I, ah, again, the, the, naivete of youth anyway so i've reclaimed them and i just wear them now and i feel great i feel great about it good for you because you know i thought about me in high school not long ago and you know high school was long ago i thought about it not long ago and i was always like oh no i'm no boy is ever gonna date me because i'm just way too fat was i the skinniest thing in the in the world no was i like a large large child no. No. And so looking back, it's like, ah, you know what? Like I was the girl. I'm like, I'm going to wear full jeans and a jacket to the beach because I'm like, oh, I can't be seen in shorts. I would not. I wouldn't have been caught dead in shorts at school. Whereas now, oh, everybody has seen me in like shorts that are like, ooh, girl, I don't think we should be going out in those. But sometimes it's really hot. Yes, <laughs> and, it is. And so it's like, you know what? Just stop. Just <laughs> if, if you're comfortable. Yeah. Just wear it. Yes. And if they don't like it, fuck them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's oh. where that's where I'm at. And I haven't even touched the booze yet, ladies and gentlemen and I, other people. Well, you didn't pregame. I, this is very exciting. No, I was working on because we're at such a weird thing in our record that. 
I know. I'm, you researched for this one. I'm currently researching for our next one, which we're not recording for like a week. But I'm I'm ahead of the game, and I'm so close to finishing those notes. And I want to get them done early because I'm trying to give myself a little extra time for the episode after that that I'm the most right. super excited about. So I'm like, I got to get ahead of this. So I'm I'm just mentally all over the place. So it's been a it's I've been a sober Sally today huh? just to get through as much as I can for notes. I won't be by the end of this. Yeah. Recording, of course, but leading up to it. Yeah. Think, well, listen, I'm into the high noons peach flavored as an homage to uh, my shirt and my dog. Of course. But also because these go down like water and uh as you know, mm-hmm. I get self-conscious when I have to read. And if I have any amount of alcohol in my system, I lose the ability to read. And so, <laughs> or read aloud, I should say. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm trying to play it cool, trying to play it safe. I've also got a tumbler of water, which is rare for me on this show. I like it. I mean, I've got the water and then I've got, I'm just going to start with a nice little rainbow twist. See what happens. Keep it real. See what happens. And I've also yeah. already turned into... I only have one game, or one one game. I only have one drink, and then at the break, I'm going to get another. Am I possibly going to get two, and then get another one at the next? Maybe. Sky's the I limit like it. is my point. Well, what I also like is uh, we had a bit of a busy day over at uh, this house and yeah. realized we have nothing for dinner, and so I've ordered food, <laughs> and I have explicitly put in the, in the notes, do not ring the doorbell, <laughs> do not knock, Just put it on the doorstep and send me a text. But what's going to be really fun is that at some point in this record, it's more than possible. There'll be like an explosion, a cacophony of dogs barking, you know, but that's also just part of the magic. And maybe not. Maybe maybe the the instructions will get followed. I just find it's a 50-50 when you put any sort of instructions in a food delivery app, personally. Yeah, it's kind of like having kids. It's like 50-50 on whether or not they're going to listen. Ah, uh, <laughs> because of course. I'm going to tell you, I I share a wall uh, with two children, my most energetic, who go to bed around the time that I'm coming in to record, and I let them know, but if you think that there's not a five-year-old swinging on a loft bed like it's a jungle gym, throwing his body into a mattress... Like he's Simone Biles and it's just a lot. And if you think that little clattering of bones isn't going to bang into the wall, sometimes it's happened and I've just let it go. But it depends how many times is it going to happen. So far, none today. I've never heard it on the show. But well, well, and that's yeah. Sometimes also then we get the cats that are like, you've closed a door. That's not allowed. We don't care for that because, of course, the anxious lady Got the anxious cats. <laughs> yeah. But that makes sense because the dog that I had before the cats was just so riddled with anxiety. <laughs> just, oh, bless her heart. She was, she was just anxious all the time. Yeah. Severe separation anxiety. There yeah. were a lot of issues uh, going on there, but it makes sense that I was drawn to her. That yeah. we, we, we felt that we felt that bond immediately that we were both like, I get it. I see you. And she saw me and peed on the floor and I went, ah, that's our dog. 
I don't know why, but it was. Did I get mad at her anytime she actually peed on our floor? Yes, but for some reason I should have known it was coming. Well, listen, I mean, blinded by love, it's a real thing. Yeah, a mother's a mother's eyes. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Right? I like that. It makes it a more positive. Yeah. Now, I have a question for you. This, of course, oh. this episode, uh, we're talking about Britney Spears, and it made me have a question for Blanche. Oh, no. Okay. I'm immediately like, oh, God, I don't know if we're going to talk K-Fed. I don't know if we're going to talk Timberlake. I mean, well, exactly. Listen, there's there's a lot of, of references, early 2000 references here. And, and yeah. this is kind of a Christy question, too, also. So I guess maybe I'd like to hear Christy's answer and then Blanche's <laughs> answer. Sure. Yeah. And I just like that we're adding to the melange of personalities, which is great. Of course. Now, for Christy, yeah. were you team Backstreet Boys or team NSYNC, team 98 Degrees? I mean, there was so many. <sighs> Look... I, and the joke is, it started, it started with Britney, which is convenient that this is how it's coming out. Yeah. So I was in, I believe, like the seventh grade, grade seven, and Hit Me Baby One More Time came out. I had, I, it was probably much music on. After school, I'm like dancing away in the living room. This is great. And at the time, we were living in a place where you open the door and you're like almost practically in the living room so if you're dancing away someone's gonna catch you if they come in the sure. door sure i was caught by an older sibling who came in and went oh god what is this and i just went oh you know it's new it's whatever and i was so teased and so shamed for it by a sibling who went on to be a massive britney fan i want to point out but <laughs> okay Anyhow, I was teased horribly for it so much that I shoved it down and went, you know what? You're right. This isn't cool. I hate it. So Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, all of that becomes a huge thing. And too cool for school over here was like, nope, I don't care about that. I like it dark. I want Nirvana. I want, you know, Smashing Pumpkins. I want Soundgarden. I don't care about, you know, boy bands lame. If you couldn't tell by all of that, I wore cords that were about a size too big and they were ripped up the inseam. But don't worry, I had them all together with safety pins. Oh yeah. I mean, listen so, again, this was very similar to, to my experience. So, yeah, yes. so I was a bad bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I was not. I, I really wanted to be. Sure. So at the time, I was like, uh, no, it's beneath me. And then, as an adult, you start hearing songs on the radio, and that's the moment you realize, oh, no, I know all the words to so many Backstreet Boys songs, it's ridiculous. I know a lot of NSYNC. Back in the day, it was like Timberlake and JC. I was, oof. I love them so much. I've come a long way from Timberlake. Of folks. course. We, we, we all have. If I had to choose, I did go through a 98 degrees phase because have you, have you seen Nick? <laughs> <laughs> and there's that hardest, the hardest thing video they did where he was a boxer and it was filmed in like a sepia, which makes everybody like 
8% hotter than they already oh, yeah. are. Yep. So I was just here for it. So I did like them, but if I had to choose, I know, I know that my heart lies with Backstreet Boys. I know that wow. it does. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas years ago, I would have been like, oh, mm, I don't you know. You know who I'm... else is a massive Backstreet Boys fan and always was? Oh my God. Are you going to say your mother? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Always. It's God. so funny. Well, it explains why I feel like I practically raised you. Yeah, there, <laughs> there you go. Uh, yes, yeah. Laurel loves the Backstreet Boys. She did oh. it the whole time. And listen, I was too cool for school at the time, too. But for yeah. some reason, the one thing that I let come through was NSYNC. I don't know why. I no. I was like, I didn't own any other CDs or anything. But I was, I was you know, I would joke. Yeah. That it's like, I like them. And then it was like, kind of like, what's the bit? What's real? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But I also really, you know, in retrospect, I know every word to every Backstreet Boys song too. It's funny because it feels like now I don't know the words to anything on the radio. And then I wasn't actively seeking out or listening to those songs. Sure. But I know every lick of them. Every single one. Right? The call came on the radio the other day and I was like oh I haven't heard this in year full into it I didn't expect any of that it was bigger than me I am I I guess for those who care when it comes to Backstreet I was always Nick and then I went through a little phase where I was Brian and then I heard that Brian had a had a heart problem oh that was it for me I was like okay who doesn't become a puddle of a human being over someone with a heart problem i don't know what's <laughs> don't think that's a thing but the thing is i felt bad there was a little sympathy and then it was i feel so bad for him but nick was always my uh my main one for that right which i guess is maybe possibly blanche coming in but well yeah that was exactly I mean, you're, you're, you're blanching if, which if is blanche, what i was asking for yeah if blanche had to go for it I'm not saying for the full group. I'm saying just for very specific members that she likes. Blanche goes 98 degrees. Oh, probably NSYNC Backstreet. <laughs> what I like is that Blanche thinks about these bands as an entity. That it's like <laughs> they, they, are, they are a group. They are, it's, it's, mm-hmm. they're just cogs in a wheel. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I mean... Blanche just, oh, she sees that whole gender in a whole different way than yeah. than even I do, which is weird to say because it's it's me. Like at some point, I'm gonna need to start talking to someone about all of these different well, personalities. We're gonna need a flowchart for sure, if nothing else. Just yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think most of us. Oh, Justin, when he first came out and was a thing, like when he grew a little from uh, Mickey Mouse Club, it was like, oh, here we go. It's like Ryan Gosling. You you meet Ryan Gosling from Mickey Mouse Club and you're like, okay, kid, thanks for coming out. And then you meet Ryan Gosling from like The Notebook or Crazy Stupid Love and it's like, hot damn. So he needed those years to, to grow. Whereas yes. Justin grew nicely and then it turns out he's just trash 
Well, yeah. Listen, I it's I oh, got lots I, yeah. of notes. I bet you do. I and that's the thing. I didn't ever really think about him in a negative way, and then something came out years ago that someone pointed out, like every single time he has a new movie or a new song or a new album or something, for some reason he always is bringing up Britney in the interviews and it's like oh my god that's all you have you're you you're still using her to try and get popularity or get your name in the press or whatever it is you're doing and then stuff came out recently and he was just like uh you know everything going on with Britney and it's like what are you saying you keep her name out of your whore mouth and you move on (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said it. I said I liked it. it. I liked it a lot. <laughs> I don't know what's going on for the girl who was. I, I mean, I love Britney, but I was like Christina Aguilera "Dirty" album when everyone was being the cutesy pop. Although I guess in my heart, the pop is always there. Dirty yeah. pop. Nope, that was just. <laughs> It asked for it. Frankly, it, <laughs> it asked did. for it. It did. That was me putting a stamp on the on the sentence and then quoting Justin, because that is Justin, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, well, fuck him. There it is. <laughs> I love where I, this is starting, because I'm going to tell you something. Yeah. It's not going to get better for the next oh. <laughs> two hours of your life in terms of anger, anger at men, mm-hmm. anger at JT specifically. I mean, again, like oh. it's um, this is a journey into into madness. Just know that I'm I'm ready to be angry at men. <laughs> oh, then this is the episode for you, my friend. Oh my God, yes. I and I mean, have have I have I been wronged by a man recently? Not that I can think of. My point is just all of the wrongs from the past multiple decades are all uh they're all coming out yeah and some would say that the patriarchy wrongs each and every one of us every single day (laughs) that is a great point Uh, i mean again i think deep down there's always been feminism in me it's just something about this podcast and that ring light that turns on that i feel like it's therapy there's not ring lights in therapy. I don't know why I uh, think it, but as soon as it goes on, I'm like, okay, it's therapy. So let's talk about why I'm angry at men today. <laughs> I think that's healthy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. overall, I, I don't hate males. No, that's saying, not. But, but the patriarchy no. and men are two separate things also. That is true. You know, that is true. Yeah. It's a construct as opposed to, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, there's something about Uh, a good 95 to 98% of the cases that we talk about involve a a man wronging a woman in some way that's, it's not our intent to look for those cases. It's, they're just literally right there. We can close our eyes and reach a hand out and we're going to touch one of those cases because they're... Statistically speaking, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, Well, I can't wait. To get into angry, uh, oh, I guess we're not angry about the monarchy. I was going to try the patriarchy about the monarchy again, but we're not angry about the monarchy today. We'll let the monarchy rest today. Today. 
for now. Yeah, but we'll be back, Monarchy. You can count on it. I don't know if you can count on it, but it seemed good at the time. She has an energy that she doesn't know what's happening, folks. So I love this it. is this is what it is. So today we are talking Britney Spears, the story so far. She has written a very lovely synopsis for me. I'm going to try not to cock it up. We'll see how it goes. It's going to be great. In 2008, Britney Spears was placed in a conservatorship after being placed under two separate 5150 holds in one month. A judge not only granted her father, Jamie, a role as her conservator, but also allowed he and his team to forgo providing Brittany with the usual five days notice required of a conservative ship forming. So while Brittany was in a hospital under an involuntary psychiatric hold, she was stripped of all of her rights. And for the 13 years since, Brittany has had no control over her own money, her healthcare decisions, the friends she keeps, or the jobs she does. She hasn't even been allowed to have an iPhone. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. While legions of her devoted fans have been trying to spread the hashtag free Britney message for years, the rest of the world is starting to wake up to, to this now after Britney's stunning court testimony on June 23rd, 2021. So what exactly is a conservative ship? What, how did it just happen? Why can't she just get out of it? And is it possible the court system has ignored Britney's pleas because they want to avoid shining a light on a corrupt system that exploits and disenfranchises far more people than it helps? You can I'm see the state say, of mind I was in yes. when I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think uh, there's a reason we get along as well as we do. Yeah. Because we're essentially the same person because, again, I've birthed you, I guess. <laughs> That feels right. I've learned. Uh, Yes, the sheer, yeah, the amount of comparisons between the two. It's just so funny. Yeah. Um, Yes. Thank you, Christy. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I dove into this real deep. Yeah. And I got to say, I'm going to try and get through a lot of information. I'm going to try and get through it as quickly as I can. I want to give a just a quick right off the top. I'm going to say this. If you're somebody who knows a lot about this movement, I promise you there's things I'm probably going to miss. There's details I'm probably going to miss for sure. Because it is when you start to go down the rabbit hole of what exactly this is as a concept, but then also specifically about Britney, it is wild. Like it truly, I've been rabbit holing for like two straight weeks. So I just preface by saying I'm not pretending to be an expert and there are people out there who definitely are, but I've done my best and I'm going to try and hit on the points that I think are the most important slash the most shocking slash um, things that I definitely didn't know because I feel like if I didn't know it, listeners probably didn't know it. Also, the other thing is, as people know, I have hard time saying certain words. For example, MacArthur. (laughs) Harbor. (laughs) Now, that's just because of an accent. But conservatorship, conservator, that word, conservator, is what I want to say every time. Conservatorship. It's how it's spelt. So please bear with me. I... That's one that trips me up for whatever reason. I um, thought so there you, go. you were going to come in here and be like, because that's how it's supposed to be said. And I was going to be like, how many times did I just say it incorrectly? No, you said it perfectly. So that was a relief. Well, I I can't wait for more MacArthur on the harbor because that <laughs> gives me life. 
Yeah. Well, listen, I don't know if there's any of those words in here, but uh, stay tuned because you never know. I, I can't wait. Thank you. Well, bless. All right. Britney Spears, the story so far. Uh, again, this is very up to the moment because this unbelievable testimony that she gave was just June 23rd and we're, we're just in July now. So I am excited much like I on the army hammer front. When I did that episode, I was like, I'm going to keep this as up to the minute as I can. So because that's who you are it's who I as am a researcher. It. And I have a passion for that for some reason. And I do. You I do. don't know why you have I don't a pa- know why. You have a passion for up-to-date details and e-commerce stores. I do. <laughs> I do. I do. Yeah. yeah. Ah, bless it. All right. So I'm going to start off. What does it mean to be in a conservatorship? Because there's a lot of talk about it, but breaking it down, it's also been referred to as a guardianship. But a conservatorship is a complex legal arrangement that allows a judge to grant control over a conservatee's finances if that person is unable to maintain them due to physical or mental limitations. Conservators can also take control of a conservatee's estate's assets, and in some cases, their person. When a conservator controls the conservatee's person, they are in charge of managing everything in their daily activities, including health care and living arrangements. These are typically reserved for those who are old, ill, or infirm. Uh, A representative is designated to manage the person's affairs and estate if that person is deemed unable to take care of themselves or is deemed susceptible to outside influence or manipulation. That's an important one, too. So conservatorships in general are designed to be a last resort and they are designed in theory to protect the vulnerable. Brittany, of course, has been living in one since 2008. Mm. So to provide some more context about them, I wanted to give some examples of famous conservatorships that I didn't know existed. So in terms of some examples of times where someone's health doesn't allow them to take care of themselves... Um, 2013 famous disc jockey Casey Kasem was put under conservatorship after dementia unfortunately caused a decline in his ability to think and rationalize. Okay. It remained, yeah, it remained in place until his death in 2014. Now, there was a lot of drama there. It changed hands between his wife and his children and whatnot. But the point is, is that he did need someone to take over, unfortunately, because he was no longer able to. Another example, in 2015, Joni Mitchell suffered a brain aneurysm. I had no idea about this. A a judge placed a friend of hers as a conservator, um, though the friend would not be able to control financial decisions. Joni actually was able to learn to talk again fairly quickly, but it took her three years to learn to walk again. I had no idea about this. Wow. Yeah, and so there's no kind of update I could find about whether she's still in the conservatorship. The Hmm. general consensus is, is that she's probably not, but what you're going to learn as we talk about this more and more is it's virtually impossible to get out of one once you get put into one. So, but again, uh, that's another great example of someone who is unable to take care of themselves, sure. at least in the short term, right? Yeah. There's also the instances, of course, where people are put under one because of mental health issues. Now, the Eagles bassist Randy Meisner volunteered himself for a conservatorship after he sadly lost his wife, Lana, in April 2016. He also had diagnosed bipolar disorder, had a traumatic brain injury, had also issues with substance use, and he felt he was unable to care for himself. And so he asked for one. And as far as anyone can tell, he's still under it and happy. It was like, I, I need help, basically. So... That's Good an interesting for him. example. Sure. Yeah. And if it works for him and he feels taken care of and safe, great. So, of course, also Amanda Bynes is a another famous conservatorship. 2014, oh. she was put under one when it was revealed she had bipolar. 
uh, bipolar disorder, substance use issues, and it was felt that she was no longer able to make decisions for herself, and her mother became her conservator. 2020, she joined Instagram specifically to explain her situation in an attempt to try and do what people have done for Britney Spears, trying to get out of her conservatorship. Um, Under Amanda Bynes' situation, she can't marry her fiancé, Paul Michael, and she can't leave the treatment center that she's apparently been living in. She tried to have the conservatorship removed last year in 2020, but the judge kept it in place. Again, we'll get into that later uh, in terms of how hard it is to get out. Then there's, of course, instances where people are put under a conservatorship if they're deemed vulnerable to abuse or the mistreatment of others. Mickey Rooney, a very beloved, famous actor, very sadly, in his elder years, was being abused by his eighth wife, Jan, and her son, Chris. They stole money from him. They abused him by withholding food and his medications from him. Oh, my God. Um, Yeah. An attorney of his had to file for a conservatorship um, to have someone else in his family kind of step up. Uh, But by that time, unfortunately, they had taken $400,000 from him. Uh, So they got the conservatorship in 2011 along with the restraining order. Uh, Three years later in 2014, he passed from natural causes. Um, Also, there's, of course, the famous case of Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys, who, musical genius, I'm a huge fan. Um, He was misdiagnosed by his psychologist, Dr. Landy. Dr. Landy said he had bipolar schizoaffective disorder. He did not. Dr. Landy decided to just control everything in his life. There's some. There's a good biopic John Cusack plays uh, Brian Wilson. It's actually really, really good with Elizabeth oh. Banks. Paul Dano, check it out. I can't remember what it's called. It's a very good movie. But basically, he had such a hold on Brian Wilson, he was controlling absolutely everything in his life, and his uh, Brian Wilson's cousin was the one that ended up filing to get a conservatorship and getting him away from this abusive doctor. So as you can see, these are all examples of, where conservatorships were intended and used because there was a specific reason why this person needed the help. Like, it was, like, imminent, right? So it's either dementia, a brain aneurysm, abuse, you know, all of these kinds of things, a crisis like the Eagles basis I was referring to. But it's important to keep in mind that these are all people that, at least in the short term, some in the long term, could not take care of themselves, Since the establishment of Britney Spears' conservatorship, she has released four albums, headlined a global tour that grossed $131 million, and performed for four years at a hit Las Vegas residency that brought in over $138 million. Yet, her conservators, who include her father, Jamie Spears, have controlled Mm -hmm. her spending, her communications, and her personal decisions, including her health care, what medications that she takes, literally everything in her personal and professional life what's interesting to me is that another reason that conservatorships as i've talked about uh, another reason that they get granted is because you're trying to protect someone vulnerable from being manipulated sure but my question is what how do you protect somebody who then gets a conservator who could arguably be manipulating the person right Right now, in some cases, they I I know there's a chance to get things changed, but of course, I'm going to get into all of the reasons why this one is, in my opinion, extremely dysfunctional and horrific, for lack of a better term. Sure. So why is Britney under the conservatorship? Well, in 2008, Britney had what has been described as a string of public meltdowns that were all captured by the paparazzi. The second part of that sentence is the most important part, and we're going to get into it. Um, She was taken to the hospital twice in one month, as I mentioned in the summary. 
And after a judge viewed a sealed medical report that has never been opened to this day, it was determined that Jamie Spears, Britney's father, and an attorney named Andrew Wallet, unfortunate name for a lawyer, isn't it, mm. would be her conservators. Many thought this was a temporary conservatorship, but now, 13 years later, it is still in place. Um, obviously, we know that she spoke this past June for 24 straight minutes describing what she's been living in basically begging to get her life back. Thus far, no real changes have been made. I think this case is extremely important, um, not only to keep the conversation alive, to get change made specifically for her. When you start to hear all about this, it's wild and horrific, Mm -hmm. but also because this is setting dangerous precedents. The point that I want to hit right now, and I'm going to hit on it again, she informed the court in June that she had an IUD implanted in her against her will because the conservators won't allow her to have more children. This is Handmaid's Tale shit, and if people think that's a dramatic statement, it's not. There is absolutely no reason why a woman who is well enough to tour, record albums, does not have dementia, has not had a recent brain aneurysm, there is absolutely no right that she should not be able to decide to have children. That is her right and her right alone. And I think that we, again, for the bigger picture here, letting this slide not only does it a disservice to her because she's a human being, but it does a disservice in the bigger picture. That is something that cannot just be like, well, no. It, it, to me, it's terrifying where that could go long term. The only person so, who should be making a choice on what a woman does with her body is that woman. <laughs> 100%. But when we start to get into all of the things she's not allowed to do with her body, mm. buckle in. So here we go. A wild, terrifying, heartbreaking ride. Britney Spears. The story so far. <laughs> oh, I, I was in a mood when I wrote this. Okay. <laughs> I love so, it. She comes from Kentwood, Louisiana. A born performer. Of course, she was a, steal, a scene stealer at dance recitals beginning at age three. Her parents would drive her to local competitions at, in Lafayette, then to larger ones in New Orleans. Um, they were very humble, Jamie and Lynn Spears, her parents, and they often had to borrow money from friends to pay for gas to get her to auditions. 1992, a 10-year-old Britney Spears, of course, competed on Star Search. She blew them away. Her voice was amazing. And, of course, Ed McMahon came over, told her she had pretty eyes, and asked her if she had a boyfriend. That's what he asked her. Stop. Can that generation stop with that? I know. That was the first thing that my child was asked on his first day of kindergarten was, does he have a girlfriend yet? And it's just like, (laughs) at the time, he was four. So I'm like, let's maybe, let's maybe not. Let's stop. You don't realize you're doing it, but let's stop sexualizing children. Thank you very much. Because again. stop putting into their brains, oh, you don't have a, a girlfriend yet? What's wrong with you? Well, I think what you're going to really hate is the follow-up because she said, no, sir, they're mean. And then Ed McMahon said, how about me? Okay. One, (laughs) disgusting. Two, Brittany knew then what I'm sure she knows now. They're mean. (laughs) Yeah. And again, it's like this is literally, it's so chilling to watch that clip now because it is the beginning of what has been her entire life. It started then. It probably started before then, but that is a documented moment where it's like this girl at the time being preyed upon by a predator. 
Ugh, it's gross. Much like last week, what was it? Fuck Groucho? Fuck Ed McMahon. I don't care that he's dead. I don't care if it's disrespectful. Fuck him. It's disgusting. Creep. It's actually more helpful when they are dead. True enough. <laughs> True Also, enough. if there are any, like, I'm here to avenge Ed McMahon, take a look in a mirror, folks. <laughs> We need your powers being used elsewhere. Exactly. Yeah, I think Ed McMahon's fine. I don't think he needs the, the press. I think it'll be fine. I think you're right. After this, Brittany and her mom took the train from Louisiana to New York City to meet with a child agent named Nancy Carson. Nancy says that Jamie Spears was mostly just concerned about how financially it was going to all happen. Lynn and Brittany decided to come to New York so Brittany could take classes. Nancy said that Brittany was funny, sweet, a wonderful little girl. She said Jamie visited from time to time, but he was very anxious to see that the time being spent there was actually, quote, worthwhile. Brittany did book an understudy role on Broadway and then obviously was cast on the 90s version of the Mickey Mouse Club. Oof. After that show ended, Brittany went home to Louisiana for two years where she led a normal life. She played basketball. She went to a normal high school. Everything was normal. Then, in 1997, when she was 16, Britney signed a six-album deal with Jive Records, thanks to an entertainment lawyer named Larry Rudolph, who, of course, went on to become her manager. Lynn then asked a life, a longtime family friend named Felicia Culotta if she would be Britney's chaperone. Lynn and Jamie had Britney's sister Jamie Lynn, whose name will never not be weird to me because it's just Jamie and Lynn Spears' first names shoved together, which feels so narcissistic to me, I can't. So, it was like, we, we're going to be done having kids. I want to name her after me. No, I want to name her after me. How about we name her after both? Yep. But yet, forget the first child we had. That's already done. Well, again, <laughs> I'll get to that. Um, so she, her, Jamie Lynn was only six at the time, grade one, first grade. She didn't feel, Lynn didn't feel that she could leave Jamie Lynn or take her out of school. And Jamie, I guess, was just not interested in being Britney's chaperone on the road. Oh, but he's sure interested now. Oh, already isn't he? Already fired up. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're yep. already, yep. the foreshadowing is real. Yep. So it is said that Jamie wasn't really around much when Britney was growing up. He had struggles with alcohol use. He tried many times uh, in many different professions. He apparently was working in construction as a welder, as a cook. He tried to open a gym. Eventually, he filed bankruptcy. Many said that he just never seemed to be a real part of Britney's life, which does seem evident if Lynn chose a family friend slash acquaintance to be her chaperone on tour rather mm -hmm. than her own father. Just mm -hmm. saying. Mm -hmm. So Felicia Culotta, also from Kentwood, Louisiana, had known Brittany since she was five, and she agreed to go on the road with her as her chaperone for three months. It turned into over 23 years. So they had a grand time together. Wow. Brittany and Felicia go to New York to meet members of the record label Jive Records. One of the people they meet is a woman named Kim Kamen, who was senior director of marketing there at the time. Kim says she was impressed at how serious and focused Brittany was. She also said Lynn would do absolutely anything it took for Brittany to be a star, that Lynn supported her. Kim also said that she never talked to Jamie. And the only thing Jimmy, Jamie literally ever said to Kim was, and I quote, my daughter is going to be so rich, she's going to buy me a boat. Kim followed that up by saying, that's all I'm going to say about Jamie. 
But buckle in, because I have so many more things to say in a section I'm calling Some Not-So-Fun Facts About Jamie Spears. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So okay. James Jamie Parnell Spears was born in Kentwood, Louisiana, to his father, June Austin Spears, and mother, Emma Jean Forbes Spears. So, here we go. 1966, Jamie is 13. His mother, Emma Jean, died by suicide on the grave of her infant son. The infant had died eight years prior when he was only three days old. Four years later, when he was 17, Jamie survived a car accident that killed one of his football teammates. It is unclear who was driving the car, but Jamie lived, and unfortunately his teammate did not. Wow. From, yeah. From 1972 to 1975, he was married to a woman named Debbie Sanders Cross. They remained friends after their divorce, but it should be noted that in 1974, while they were married, Jamie was arrested on drug charges and driving while intoxicated charges. Hmm. 1976, he married Lynn Irene Bridges. They eloped when Lynn was just 21. Hmm. The next year, they had Brian James Spears. That's, of course, Brittany's older brother. Lynn had explained that Jamie liked to drink alcohol at social functions, but everything got worse after Brian was born in 1977. And right before Brian's first birthday, Jamie disappeared for a week on a bender. From that moment on, Jamie routinely began to miss family celebrations. Then there's the pesky verbal abuse. When Lynn went back to college to finish her degree, Jamie would say things to her like, You're too stupid to graduate. How come they don't know that down at the school? Lynn describes their relationship as, quote, destructive love and says that as the three children grew up, Lynn says, our children saw far too many knockdown drag out fights between their mama and their daddy. Sounds like that's probably true. 1980, Lynn files for divorce, requesting a temporary restraining order. She said she feared that he would become angry when served the divorce papers and also feared he would harass or harm her, especially if he had been drinking alcohol. In those same divorce papers that were filed and then withdrawn in 1980, Lynn also accused Jamie of cheating on her on Christmas Day. Come on. Yeah. Oh. 1981, they reconciled, and Lynn gave birth to their second child, Brittany Jean Spears. What a time to continue to build your family together. Mm. I am I am not judging Lynn then, but I'll judge her later. Oh, <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> 1991, 10 years after Britney's birth, Lynn gave birth to their third child, Jamie Lynn Spears. Jamie Lynn, of course, goes on to become an actress and singer, but this pregnancy was a surprise to Jamie and Lynn, as Jamie had recently got a vasectomy. But after Lynn became pregnant, Jamie revealed he just didn't bother to go in for his follow-up appointment. Oh my God. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, dude, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Oh. I think the other thing to keep in mind throughout all of this, and this is a theme yeah. that you'll see come up again and again, is that Lynn just tells everybody their business. You know what I mean? Like, it's... Okay. There's a lot out there if you want to look for it. Anyway. Okay. Well, yeah. I've already... I had completely forgotten, uh, as earlier I made a comment about the two sisters. 
I had forgotten there was a brother involved. And oh, and so he's a he's a real treat too. But oh, we'll get no. to Brian. We'll get to Brian. In the year 2000, Brittany built a $4.5 million estate for her mom, Lynn, in Kentwood. She urged her mother desperately to divorce her father, Jamie, knowing that, according to Lynn, and this is a quote, years and years of verbal abuse, abandonment, erratic behavior, and his simply not being there for me had taken their toll. Lynn and Jamie did divorce two years later in May 2002, and Brittany told People Magazine at the time it was the best thing that ever happened to her family. Mm. That was 2002. Want to remind you, 2008, six years later, he's in control of everything about Britney's life. Okay. Uh-huh. Lynn says that she believes the marriage just came apart slowly in sad little pieces, cruel words flung in the heat of the moment, fueled by alcohol's evil energy. But then she would go on to describe the things that Jamie said to her. You're stupid. You're selfish. You graduated from college, but you don't even know how to get out of the rain. It sounds to me like maybe it was abusive, Lynn, and, and, and not just coming apart slowly. It sounds like he was always terrible to you. And I have nothing but yeah. compassion for of people course. who are in those positions. I understand firsthand how hard it can be to get yourself out of one of those position, uh, situations. But it's, it's as time goes on, there's choices that she makes that does, it, it's, it's tough. Mm. Again, this isn't, I'm not talking about young her in the thick of it feeling like she can't get out. Later, when she has resources and things available to her and she does get out, I just think that Lynn has has unfortunately mm. put her daughter into some, some very sticky positions. I bet. 2004, two years after the divorce, Jamie goes to rehab for his alcohol use issues. Uh, Jamie and Lynn then reconcile without remarrying in 2010. They were still together in 2014, but apparently completely split by 2020, although none of that has been confirmed. Now, it's important to note, Jamie Spears has had no job of record for more than two decades. Details of his financial livelihood, independent of his affiliation to his daughter Brittany, remain unknown, which I interpret as he's just been living off of her for over 20 years, plain and simple. Of course he has. Mm-hmm. Now, here's some more. Here's some more juice. September 2019, Britney's ex-husband Kevin Federline obtained a restraining order against Jamie Spears following an alleged physical altercation between Jamie and one of Britney's sons, Sean Preston. According to law enforcement, the report was filed following a heated argument between Sean Preston and his grandfather at Jamie's condo on August 24th, 2019. Britney had the boys over at his condo that evening. Jamie and Sean Preston got into an argument. Preston felt unsafe, locked himself in a room. Jamie broke into the room and violently shook him. Oh I believe he was 13 God. at the time. Oh, God. He was not physically injured, but obviously very scared and shaken up. Kevin Federline and his lawyer went to court three days later for an emergency hearing to seek a restraining order. The order was granted with no opposition from Jamie. It prohibits him from coming anywhere near Sean Preston and his brother, Jaden James, for three years. Oh. And he did not care to object to it at all. No, I bet he doesn't because they're not his moneymakers. Well, yeah, exactly. Mm. Uh, Jamie also chose to leave town before police could question him. I now, just, I know you'll probably get into it, but my thing right now is once you get like something like that happens, that should have courts going, he should not be in charge of anyone. And that is the question that comes up again and again. There is... A hundred percent. 
I know. And you know what's very sad is that in that moment, that's not what happened. What happened in that moment was it affected Britney's custody. So Britney and Kevin were 50-50 since 2007. There were hiccups along the way. I'll get into those later. But at that time in 2019, Kevin Federline began to officially receive custody of the boys 70% of the time. Now, that had been an informal arrangement since 2018, but it was made official in court August 28th following this issue with Jamie. And that's the kind of stuff that just gets me. It's like, so your father, again, is abusive to your son, and it affects you, Brittany. That is just so unjust to me. I I, I can't. June 2021, it's revealed Jamie receives a monthly salary of $16,000 for living expenses, plus an additional $2,000 a month for office space rental fees. Do you know how much Brittany gets? $2,000 a week, no matter how much money she's making, and she doesn't get a penny more. And what the fuck is he doing with the office space? Yeah. Mm. June 23rd, Mm -hmm. 2021, Brittany said at her conservatorship court hearing, the word gets me, my dad and anyone involved in this conservatorship and my management who played a key role in punishing me, they should be in jail. Jamie's attorney, Vivian Thorine, released a statement saying, Jamie is sorry to see his daughter suffering in so much pain. Mr. Spears loves his daughter and misses her very much. Vivian uh, Thorine also said in a statement to People Magazine earlier in the year, if Ms. Spears wants to end her conservatorship, she can ask her lawyer to file a petition to terminate it. She's always had this right, but in 13 years, never exercised it. You glib monster. Vivian. Whoa. I, I, how dare you? This girl isn't even allowed to have her own iPhone. She's being kept on medications that are against her will. How dare you suggest it's like, well, she just has to ask to get out. If it was that easy, don't you think she'd be out of it already? Come on. Yeah. Stop. I also have so many questions that I do not want the answer to. (laughs) I have the question. I just don't want the answer. Um, Mm -hmm. Specifically about the um, IUD, Mm -hmm. I don't want to know how that went to get into her body and how like having her being forced to go to like a hospital to have something like that done. I can't think about it. I don't know whether she consented at the time. There's no kind of details about how Mm. it happened. But the other thing that's important to remember is she's being kept on a lot of medications. So who knows? It could be that she was talked into it. It could be that she legitimately wanted it and just wants it out now. That's her prerogative too. I don't know, but it's definitely being kept in against her will. And that's just, and then of course you're right. There's also the possibility again, that it's like, did she just wake up that way? I mean, yeah, that's very dark to think about. And truly nothing would surprise me at this point. And the other thing I wanted to say to Vivienne is Brittany said in part of her testimony this past June, she didn't know. She said, she said to the judge, I'm, she apologized. She said, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. I didn't know that I could ask. I didn't know that, that I could. She didn't know. And why would she? It's in no one's prerogative to tell her. And we'll get into the fact that she was never allowed to choose her own lawyer. She's been only having a court-appointed lawyer that was chosen for her, who is rumored to be in Jamie's back pocket, being the one who's advising her. 
And there's so many opportunities where she tries to get a lawyer and gets gets cut off. So my point is, again, to just say it's like, well, she could have exercised that right at any time. Bullshit. That's and and again, Vivian, I hope that if there is karma, you will have some coming back to you. Because I think that's just so shitty. Yes. So, I also don't like the fact that she felt the need to apologize. Neither do I. For something that was not her fault. She doesn't need to apologize for anything. If you hear that sound, it's a blanket in the dryer getting ready. It is. There's nothing I wouldn't like more than to get to her house and just wrap her up. You know what I mean? Come on. Come on. Get in the blanket. Let's go. What I'm learning is we need to start a tour. We need to write (laughs) down places. Yes. Um, Unfortunately, so many are dead, so I guess it's going to be a really short tour unless we get that time machine and then we're gonna have to write a lot of dates and find access to warm blankets unless we have a we put a dryer in the time machine i was just gonna say it can be a part of the motor for sure that's oh this future writes itself i want to go on a true crime and cocktails tour we can maybe do we can do a live Yes, we could do a live episode. Yeah. In different years. Yeah. Uh, see how we test out the 80s. Probably not well. Uh, and then, uh, you know, because all of our references, they won't understand. They won't get them. Yeah. Uh, we'll kill in the 90s. Um, and then uh, we just make our way through time, giving out those warm hugs that are long overdue. Yep. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, believe me, by the end of this, there's not going to be enough blankets. That's all I'll say. Oh, no. So the other thing to know is that newly obtained records have shown that Brittany has been trying to speak up through communications with the court as early as 2014. At that time, in a hearing closed to the public, Brittany's court-appointed lawyer, Sam Ingham, we'll get into more about him later, said that Brittany wanted to explore removing her father as a conservator. She also told a court investigator who wrote a 2016 report that her father was obsessed with her and wanted to control everything about her. Mr. Ingham also told the judge later that Brittany was afraid of her father. So, again, I'm just like, if she knew that she could terminate it and file a thing, I'm sure she would have tried. And also, why does none of this matter? But again, it's Hmm? just the rage is real. So, I digress. Back to 1998. Hit me, baby, one more time. Huge. Britney says overnight she's massively famous. This is boy band time. It's important to note she is the first girl who really broke through during this time. She's considered a phenomenon. Felicia, her chaperone, said that the first Christmas after she broke, Britney went home to Kentwood, took out $10,000 and $100 bills, and just went around giving them to people saying, Merry Christmas. Not trying to get credit for it, just wanted to spread, spread some cheer, which I think is a lovely story and speaks to her personality. Many say that she seemed very approachable to her audience so that the audience felt they couldn't connect to her. She was basically the true crime and cocktails of the pop world. (laughs) I couldn't even get through it without laughing. I wrote it in my notes. That's the other thing. I was like, yeah, 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 this is good. What a dick. So so one of us is Britney and one of us is Spears. And I'm here for it. I love it. I'm here for it. So something important to remember about this time is that 
1998, the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal was huge. Oh, okay. America was talking about sex, about sexuality, and also slut-shaming in ways that was unprecedented. I also want to give a negative shout-out to Jay Leno for being a truly horrific monster when it comes to Monica Lewinsky. He went in a lot harder than most of the other talk show hosts did and was mm. just unrelenting. And I'll also say from firsthand experience, I won't get into it, but not a warm hug of a man. Um, so... Hmm. He's on our shit list. <laughs> I, the, I'm going to write, start writing down shit list members. Thank you very Got much. It. Keep it going. So the way that reporters would speak to Britney Spears, who was still a teenager, it's important to remember, yep. was egregious. Uh, one interview, a, ma- a male reporter asked her, said, and I quote, everyone is talking about it. Your breasts. You seem to be mad when people bring it up. She was 17. Mm. And it was just going on all the time. So much conversation about her virginity. So much conversation about her saving herself till marriage. It was it was the, as big of, as anything else about her. And then, of course, she did the Rolling Stone cover where she was in underwear and a bra or like little shorts and she was holding the Teletubby talking on the phone. And that threw people into a tizzy because it was like, she's sexual, but she's acting like a child, but she's a virgin, but she's whatever. And again, like it... I just feel like she got so thrown to the wolves because she was the first one. She was They were experimenting mm. about, like, how do we market this? We've never done it before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I have read that Larry Rudolph, her manager at the time, was the one who came up with the virgin saving herself till marriage story, which, by the way, was never true. Ever true. That was confirmed later in Lynn Spears' memoir, which I'll get into in a little bit, mm-hmm. that Britney lost her virginity when she was 14. So... Not that that's anybody's business, by the way, and I hate that it's a part of the conversation, but I think it's important to note here that not only was it being put upon her that she had to present this image that wasn't her, her Mm. parents knew and were culpable. Why did did Lynn sign off on that? You know what I'm saying? Like, these Mm. are the times where I'm like, Lynn, I have judgment for you. Because it's like, why were you okay? Why didn't you put your foot down and say, why don't we not make that a part of the conversation? You know? Yeah. She is absolutely a product of what uh, the media made her. 100%. 100%. I mean, I know we're going to get to her breakdowns, but... Oh, yeah. Which, in real time, when I when they happened, I was like, Ooh, what's going on there, Brittany? And now I'm like, I get it. Oh, and believe <laughs> I me... Get it. Believe me, I, yeah. It, reading it now, and I'll get into all of it, but it's it's heartbreaking now through the through the lens of twenty twenty one. Yeah, it's like oh my god, everyone failed her, everyone did. Mm. We're all culpable. You know what I mean? Like it's it, it real. I really do believe that that's true. Yeah. Um, enter Justin Timberlake. Now, obviously, they had met doing the Mickey Mouse Club when she was 11, but now they started dating. They went public, making their relationship official in 1999, and it was huge. It was the closest thing that America had to royalty. Um, Still, she was constantly being asked about sex. Is she waiting till marriage? She stead firm, yes, I'm waiting till marriage, etc. 2002, she and JT break up. A lot of people close to her say that she had a really hard time with that breakup. A lot of her identity was being a part of that golden couple. And to make matters worse, JT went ahead and took a hold of the narrative saying that she cheated on him. So Crimea River, his single, of course, 
really mm-hmm. vilified her, a complete male revenge fantasy. And might I add the implication also, not only that he cheated on her, but was also that she had lied about being a virgin, right? So he's now strung her up publicly in so many ways. JT goes on a radio show called the Star and Buckwild Morning Show, Here which sounds go. real great. Um, they asked him point blank, did you fuck Britney Spears? And he said yes. Of course, in the moment, they cheered for him. Shortly after that, he appeared on the cover of Details magazine with a quote, at least he got into Britney's pants. At the same time, the wife of the governor of Maryland at that time said, if I had an opportunity to shoot Britney Spears, I think I would. Because she was so mad about Britney, you know, being sexy and lying about saving herself till marriage. She set a bad example. So while the world is cheering for Justin Timberlake, the same world is torturing Britney Spears. And there's also been lots of speculation for the record that JT either was the one who actually did the cheating or also cheated on Britney. And of that Brit- horse he did. And that Britney just has never gone public with it, like out of respect to him. Um, mm. There was also speculation I've heard that, that it's possible she could have gotten pregnant at that time by him and that there she potentially did, maybe had pressure to not keep the baby. Those are complete speculations. But where there's smoke, there's fire. My mm. point is, I don't think it was as cut as cut and dry as Britney Spears cheated on Justin Timberlake and he was completely innocent and there's nothing else to the story. I don't buy that. Also because, if you, if I may, uh, once a cheater, always a cheater. And I think Jessica Biel can attest to whether or not Justin Timberlake keeps it in his own pants. Spoiler alert, he doesn't. <laughs> Well, add that second blanket to Britney's pile. (laughs) Again, our budget on blankets is going to get blown big time. But we'll also put our name. We'll have our name stitched into them. So it's also a little advertising for when we leave them in different times. Oh, yes. Throughout time. Mm -hmm. There's just going to be blankets throughout time. So if somebody remembers seeing one from their youth, we succeeded. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right now, D.B. Cooper is somewhere in some time picking up a blanket with our names on it. That's what I'm saying. What Um, a dream. What a dream. Thank you. So after their breakup, for the next two years, Britney just throws herself into work. Dance rehearsals, studio sessions, photo shoots, stadium performances. Uh, A makeup artist named Julianne Kay, who worked with Britney at the time, said the schedule just got crazier and crazier. Um, she also said Britney would have what she could described as little breakdowns. She was always crying, saying things like, I just want to be normal. It's mm-hmm. also said that Britney would blow off steam by partying. She did smoke weed. Some say she used cocaine, took Molly with her dancers, partied. But the tour kept getting bigger. More and more people took a dozen buses to, to take the whole crew around. They were filling entire hotel room floors. And by the way, it's nobody's business if she was doing drugs. A lot of people at many ages do those kinds of drugs. Um, So to me, again, trying to paint her in a negative light, I'm not going to stand for. No. 2003, Britney does a, quote, no-holds-bar interview with Diane Sawyer. And she questions Britney about Justin Timberlake so hard. You broke his heart. You caused him so much pain and suffering. What did you do to him? It's like, (laughs) why was that the narrative? It's wild to me um, that no one was talking about how he treated her and what Crimey River did at that time to her. 
In that interview, Britney breaks down crying, saying she had a really hard year. Watching this clip is gutting to me. She starts talking about how she was just embarrassed. And that's something I've seen come up so many times through my research. There's been so many times that she talks about like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. Like she has this real fear of looking foolish or being embarrassed. And Mm. that, again, makes all of this, this entire thing so heartbreaking, even more so than it already is. Around that time, Britney had also said she always wanted kids and a husband and that music was just for fun for her, that maybe she would continue to do it on the side, but her real dream and focus was just to have a family. Take my heart out of my chest and put it on the ground and stomp it because it is just heartbreaking. So that in mind... January 3rd, 2004, Brittany married her childhood friend Jason Alexander in a Las Vegas chapel. They were married for 55 hours before it was annulled. I want to comment on this because I remember being that age and I remember there was a time when I drunkenly suggested to a male friend, just like this situation with her, that we should just go and get married. And so I feel like I can really relate to her on this. And the reason why is because at the time, the people in her life blamed the alcohol and the drugs. Oh, she's, you know, she's so messed up that she's making these bad choices. And what I want to say is that that is not the problem. The problem is a deep loneliness. And I think for her, she so desperately wanted love and security and a person, a constant, something stable. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that those underlying issues were what kind of precipitated this and the drugs and the alcohol can make you bold and make you whatever but that's the drugs and the alcohol I'm like that's not the issue there's something Mm -hmm. else here and again Mm -hmm. I speak to this as someone who again I feel like I can relate to this now the difference with me is that I went down a different path and got into therapy and you know what I'm saying like sure unfortunately that did not happen for her it also uh says a lot with the your comment moments ago about she just wanted to uh be a mom and have kids and maybe music would be on the side. So was it a thought maybe where it was like very tempting to her of if I get married and have kids, then I have a reason that I can stop doing music that I want to stop. And also Jason Alexander specifically, this is a childhood friend of hers. She knows him from her past. He mm-hmm. knew her before she was famous. I can see that that mindset yeah. going like, let's just get married. Let's do it. It'll be an amazing story that we just got married on a whim and it all worked out. Again, I've wrote these stories for myself before yeah. when I was her age at that time. And no one picked up on it. And this is something that's going to come up so many times in this episode. So buckle in, everybody. But, but those were the things. I'm like, this is the time when an intervention needed to happen. Because what happened immediately after that, that was January 2004, Spring 2004, she meets Kevin Federline, Mm. a dancer at a nightclub. They dated for three months when they got engaged in July of 2004, and they were married in September 2004. Mm. So to do the math for you, the time from them meeting to getting married, less than six months. Oof. Okay. Again, this speaks to the exact same thing I'm talking about with Jason Alexander. She slowed it down a little, but it's the same core issues to me that are not being looked at, right? I get her, I, I, and I'm not saying this from a place of judgment. To me, it's just like, why was nobody going, oh my God, Brittany has gotten married twice in less than a year to men that she either wasn't dating or dated for a very short period of time. 
we should check in with her on what's going on inside. Where is she emotionally? What's happening? Yeah. Nobody did that. Because guess what? All they cared about was the money. Because she didn't want to have a prenup. And Lynn lost her mind being like, I cannot let her fortune potentially be torpedoed by Kevin Federline. And so, to me, again, they've missed the point, which happens again and again and again with all of this. But I think that if they had stepped in at this point, things could have gone a lot differently. But they didn't. All they cared about was the money. So they made the marriage contract be delayed. It wasn't signed until a month after the ceremony. Kevin Federline did legally agree to limit his stake to Britney's estate. Britney was happy with all of it. Two months after they got married, she wrote on her website, I've had a career since I was 16, have traveled around the world and back, and even kissed Madonna. The only thing I haven't done so far is experience the closest thing to God, and that's having a baby. I can't wait. That's her truth. To me, right there. Yeah. Kevin Federline later told Us Weekly, Our life was running at 150 miles an hour. I'd walk into a club and get a table worth $15,000 a night with unlimited free drinking. But everything got so crazy. Brittany had been so sheltered at this point that people, sources that were around at that time, said Paris Hilton had to explain to Brittany what Google was and how to use it as a concept. The fact that it was Paris Hilton. I know. <laughs> as the teacher. No offense, Paris. <laughs> Listen, she's been around the block, too. Oh, yeah. Not as badly, but, man, her story is also wild. That school that she got put into. Oh. oh my God. Oh, did you not hear about this? I did not. Oh, yeah. Like, it's basically is being a bad girl, quote, unquote. Ter terrible term. Shouldn't use it. I'm saying that that's the term they were using at the time. Sure. Not my term. Partying too much, all of that kind of thing. Sure. Uh, they sent her away to, like, a boarding school situation, and it was wildly abusive, and she was being kept there. Yeah, the story, there's a documentary you can watch on it, it is heartbreaking. And Brittany actually referenced that in her testimony June 23rd of this year as an example. She's like, I heard Paris's story and I didn't believe it because it's Paris. And she, you know, it's Paris Hilton, whatever. And, and Brittany making the point that she's like, I understand that people don't, don't believe that this is happening to me. Which again, the self-awareness, that is not somebody who is not in their right mind. She is clearly very lucid and very articulate <laughs> and smart. Anyway, okay, I'm going so far off my notes, I love it. So, <laughs> Brittany and Kevin go on Ellen to talk about having their first child, and the paparazzi was already truly cuckoo bananas for Brittany, but after the pregnancy was announced, it kicked into a level that was just ungodly. Uh, one of her hairdressers, his name is Kim Vo, uh, he was a long-time colorist of her hair, remembers that one time around this time, Brittany was getting her hair done, a paparazzo scaled a wall, broke a salon window with his fist to get a photo. That's the level we're talking about here. Mm. So a gentleman named Britton Stone was the photography director at Us Weekly from 2001 to 2011. He said he would have over $140,000 a week to spend on photos. That was roughly 7 to $8 million a year. And most of that money is going to paparazzi photos because unposed photos, for whatever reason, sell more magazines. The more photos that they had of people of being caught in the moment, people buy them. So mm. some places, not Us Weekly, obviously, but some places were paying up to a million dollars for photos of Britney Oof. at this time. Okay. Daniel Ramos, a paparazzo at the time, who prefers the label celebrity videographer, but we're going to call him a pazzo paparazzo because he's part of the problem. Mm. He says Britney liked the paparazzi at first. 
He says that they needed each other. I think that she was just being polite, and this is literal sexual assault mentality, where it's mm. like, well, she must have liked it because she didn't blatantly get mean to me and scream for, at me to stop. She was being pla- bl- she was being pleasant, so she must have liked it. Not true. Mm. So after having her first baby, Sean Preston, uh, who she had 10 months after she and Kevin Federline were married, the narrative that Brittany was an unfit mother came out almost immediately. There was an incident where she was photographed driving with Sean Preston on her lap, And a few months after that, when she was visibly pregnant with her second child, she was walking, holding Sean Preston outside a hotel in New York City. She stumbled. Of course, there's photographers everywhere, so they all caught this moment, made it look extremely dramatic. The paparazzi kept shooting. She ran into a cafe, and there's a very famous video and and photo you can see where she just started cradling Sean Preston and sobbing because it was like they just wouldn't stop. They wouldn't leave her alone, and even when she tripped... Again, this is someone we know who has communicated. She has this fear of embarrassing herself. My God, my heart, keep kicking it on the floor. (sighs) 2006, piece of shit, Matt Lauer interviewed her, asking her about the driving incident. She explained that she had gone to Starbucks. She was scared. The baby was crying. The paparazzi were banging on each side of the car. She panicked. She just wanted to get out of there. She said her dad drove with her on his lap as a kid. And, of course, Matt Lauer pushes her, saying, you know, it was dangerous. People think it was dangerous, and people are saying you're a bad mom. At this point, she just says, well, that's America for you, which I commend her that she was just trying to deflect. Mm -hmm. I will say this. Quick side note. I have had some friends in the past, you know, wacky Hollywood career that have paparazzi that follow them. And I have experienced a very minute amount of it, but I have experienced it with them, and I will tell you, I know that you're the stories, whatever, but it is incredibly scary. It is incredibly aggressive. They will get between you and your car. You will try to open the door. They will not move. They're trying to make you mad. They're trying to upset you so that you'll make a face so they can get a photo of you Mm -hmm. making a face. I feel for her. Having experienced like so little of it so few times, the idea of dealing with that to the extreme that she was under for the time that she was under to the point you made before that we're going to make again, yeah, guess what? It took a toll. And any human would have snapped eventually. Yes. Period. Full stop. Mm-hmm. And when we get into what else was going on at that time for her, get the blankets. <sighs> so Brittany has her second child, Jaden James, September 2006, very closely after Sean Preston. Three weeks later, Kevin Federline takes a private jet to Las Vegas to party with his friends. Oh, fuck off, Kevin. (laughs) I love that so much. (laughs) Brittany files for divorce in November, reportedly notifying Kevin Federline by a text message. At a nightclub, he scrawled on a bathroom wall, Today I'm a free man. Fuck a wife. Give me my kids, bitch. I got your kids right here, Kevin. (laughs) And they're called my right and my left. Yeah. And they're in your throat. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. So Brittany files for divorce. She also files for sole custody of the kids. The next day, Kevin also files for sole custody of the kids. Mm-hmm. While the divorce was being adjudicated, they divided their parental duties. It is imperative that we remember. Sean Preston was a little more than a year old, and Brittany was still breastfeeding Jaden at this time. This is a infant, a young infant okay Mm. 
Because they're splitting parental duties, that means that she's not with them all the time. And she hated it. She wanted to have her babies with her. She wanted her infant with her. That is biological. She hated being at home without them. She said in a a documentary that was made years later, she didn't know what to do with herself when she didn't have them with her. Lynn Spears talks in her memoir called Through the Storm that she thinks Britney had postpartum depression. Yeah, no shit. Sure she did. But also... I'm going to say maybe it was exacerbated by the fact that she had had an infant taken from her all the time during that time. Come on. Come on. Jaden was born in September, and this is November, December. That is a little baby. Yeah. So, again, she doesn't know what to do with herself. So on her nights, she doesn't have the kids. She ends up going out partying, which, by the way, is nobody's fucking business and is her prerogative and you know who else was doing the exact same thing Kevin Federline on the nights that he didn't have the kids but guess what guess who got it bad from the from the press and guess who nobody gave a shit about that's right they ripped Britney apart for going out and nothing was written about Kevin Federline going out their Us Weekly published a full page photo of Sean Preston with the headline mommy's crying written over it the narrative in general in the press was oh I guess she's paying the babysitter overtime Again, no, the babies were with their father, which was court-mandated. It was not Britney's choice. She didn't want it and was trying to do anything to take her mind off of it. That's how I interpret it. And of course, nobody said anything about Kevin Federline doing the exact same thing. Mm. Britton Stone, you remember the photo guy from Us Weekly? He said Mm. people were fascinated with Britney's unraveling. But then he goes on to say that the goal with the photos Us Weekly ran was never to be negative about people, but to enjoy their lives in an aspirational or relatable way. And I'd like Britton Stone to go fuck himself. Choke <laughs> <laughs> on a bag of dicks, man. The headlines that were being published at that time were about her being crazy, were about Britney's nanny tells all. This one again, mommy's crying. I also was huge into these magazines at the time. I. It was a different time. I was one of the people who was me. I wasn't necessarily buying magazines for Britney at all, but I was just a pop culture fiend. I bought magazines because I wanted to know all of the stuff. But I remember at that time it being like, wow, they're not giving her a break. Wow, this is really negative. I did not look at anything they were publishing of Britney Spears as being aspirational or relatable in any way. Because I also want to remind you that this was the period of time paparazzi were shooting up celebrities' skirts as they were getting out of cars. And this was the time that a paparazzi shot up Britney's skirt and the photo sold to TMZ, who put it everywhere. It was her vagina. She was not wearing underwear, which, by the way... I hate wearing underwear. It's nobody's business. And nobody, if anybody has any opinion about whether or not she should be wearing underwear with a dress, you know what I'm going to say to that is we should be able to live our lives without having to worry that a man is going to stick a camera between our legs photographing our genitals. We should be able to live that way. We should not have to wear underwear under a dress. Period. So keep in mind, (laughs) this is everything that's going on at this time. Her mm-hmm. vagi- a picture of her vagina has gone viral mm-hmm. on the internet. No. She's not seeing her children. She's potentially going through postpartum. These are her, She has a little infant that she's still breastfeeding that she can't see all the time. Okay? It's chaos everywhere she goes. The paparazzi are getting so competitive, they're getting into fist fights trying to get pictures of her. So much money was at stake. You see videos of her at this time. 
She's being swarmed. You can hear her just saying, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared. Anyone who wants to paint what was happening as being on her or innocent is wrong. I, I am right in this. Where's the judge gavel? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. There's no opinions about this. No. I, I'm not I'm not open to opinions at this time. <laughs> That's my final <laughs> ruling. <laughs> so Matt yep. Lauer asked her in that same 2006 interview, what do you think it will take for the paparazzi to leave you alone? She said she didn't know. She starts to cry saying she wishes they would just leave her alone. It's again heartbreaking to watch and it's so creepy mm. now because it's foreshadowing for the rest of the story that we all know. Mm. February 16th, 2007 is the infamous night Brittany shaved her head at a salon in Tarzana. The hairdresser refused to do it, so she did it herself. She said she didn't want anyone touching her anyway. It was later revealed this happened after she had driven to Kevin Federline's house, trailed by paparazzi, asking to see her kids, and he said no. All of the late-night hosts at that time started making jokes about her, and I remember being a fiend of magazines at that time. I remember genuinely saying from a place of concern... I think if this doesn't stop soon, they're going to photograph her, like, killing herself in her car. That's what it felt like. Like, there was so much pressure on her. It was so chaotic at that time. I was like, I could see that happening. And that's not me making a joke at all. I was like, this woman is being pushed to a point that no one would be able to survive, in in my opinion. Daniel, the paparazzi, paparazzo, uh, says, yeah, you can get caught up in the money and don't see what the celebrity is actually going through. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> <sighs> understatement of the year so five days later February 21st 2007 she once again goes to Kevin's house to try and see the kids he once again says no Sean Preston again just over a year Jaden James is about five months old at this point mm. um, I don't think that people stress that enough when they tell this story and they didn't at the time I just wanted to ask you do you want to as a mother for a second <laughs> <laughs> As a mother. Thank you. (laughs) The protection that you just instinctually feel towards your child, especially when they're so little and you're just, you're like, they cannot do anything for themselves. They cannot protect themselves. You will do anything. Like, I am the biggest chicken in the world. I'd get between them and a bear. Yeah. And I, the idea, if I see a bear, I'm gone. But if my child is there, I'm getting in between them and the bear. No questions asked. So, yeah, I can't even, and for someone who wanted them so, so badly, and to have them taken away, and also just after, like, when you're breastfeeding, there's a whole, like, emotional, at all, like, the hormones that are going on, like all of that kind of stuff is just a recipe for disaster. So, And I feel like no uh, one was talking about that at the time. It was just, what's wrong with Brittany? She's lost her mind. And it's like, wait a second, guys. She's only allowed to see her infant babies, one-year-old and an infant, three and a half days a week. That is huge. I don't think that any, I don't remember, and I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't remember that narrative ever getting out there. All I remember was, she's gone crazy, she shaved her head, she's gone crazy, she got an umbrella, which we'll get to in a second here, but, you know, 
it just it it breaks my heart. It, it really, really does. So that night in question, she's with her cousin Allie. They leave Kevin Federline's house, drive to a gas station. Daniel the paparazzo was there. He's like, I'm concerned about you. I hate it. Brittany had a small dog in her lap. And this is around the time she always had a small dog that she would dress up all the time, which again, I'm not a therapist. I don't think you need to be. This is a mama who is in crisis. She is missing her babies. She is having a a crisis. Why was, again, I'm like, where was Lynn? What were you doing Your daughter was not okay. Again, to me, it should not have gotten to where it got to. Anyway, they leave the gas station. They go back to Kevin's house to try again. She buzzes. He won't let her in the gate. She's very upset. They get back in the car. They go pull up behind a Jiffy Lube. This is according to to Daniel the paparazzo. Then he gets out and says, I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions. Then I'll leave you alone. Like he calls the shots. Ugh. Ali is begging. There's video of this. You can see Ali is begging him and the paparazzi to leave her alone. Daniel pushes it. And that's when Brittany gets the umbrella out and starts hitting his truck with it. Daniel said that wasn't a good night for her. And it wasn't a good night for us. Well, actually, that was a good night for us because it was a money shot. I'm going to say this. Fuck off, Dano. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's blanket number three. Yep. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> so, oh my God, it's so much. So obviously there are people who said she was dealing with postpartum. Uh, again, I'm talking about something larger than that. Perhaps it was postpartum or perhaps the postpartum was caused by the situation. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Could have been a combination, whichever. Apparently Lynn and Kevin Federline insisted that if Brittany wanted to spend more time with the children, she had to go to rehab. So early 2007, she checked into a treatment center in Antigua. She checked out the next day. Wasn't for her, I I guess. In October 2007, the judge in the custody hearing cited Brittany's habitual frequent uses of controlled substances and alcohol as the reason primary custody of the children would be given to Federline. Mm. Brittany would be granted four days of visitation per week under court-ordered monitor uh, someone named Robin Johnson. So to me, and I just have to say this very quickly, normal people, you know, if you get into a custody battle, there isn't pictures of you everywhere. There isn't video of you everywhere. No one is being filmed at their worst moment, typically. No one, there's not video record of me at my worst moment or you at your worst moment. And then if, God forbid, one of us was in some sort of court debacle, you know what I mean? I don't think that this judge was able to remove bias. I think that it was swayed by what was going on in the media, how the media was portraying it. This was also around the time, September of that year, was the MTV Video Awards performance, which, of course, Britney was raked across the coals for because the people didn't think she was good enough in that performance. There was so many criticisms. She was moving too slowly. She wasn't lip-syncing well. You can see her hair extensions. One critic wrote, she's no longer boasting the buff body that helped drive her to superstardom. She had just had two children and she looked great. I don't care what anybody says. I think she looked great at that time. And and anyone, also for the younger listeners listening who maybe are confused, this was a time before like the body positivity movement, movement really existed. It, it, I know that it seems crazy to talk about it in that way because it doesn't, it was less than 20 years ago, but it's really true. And people were just brutal to her, brutal to her. The, the stuff that was being said about her at that time, you know, 
was painting her again. Maybe she's on drugs. She seems out of it. She seems whatever. And I just think that mixed with everything else, in my opinion, <laughs> clouded that judge from being impartial. I really do. Yeah. I really do. Mm. So around this time, Brittany fires her long-term manager, Larry Rudolph. She was also reportedly desperate, desperate for friendship. Desperate, of course. Enter Sam Lutfi. Oh, no. This is a man who became her advisor and was trying to be her manager. I don't know if he's who set up the MTV performance. I don't know. I couldn't find who brokered that deal. Who knows? I can see the logic that, that a manager would say, oh, you've had negative press this year. Let's change it up. But it was too soon. She was still in crisis. She hadn't recovered from the traumas she was going through. She was in a trauma at that time actively. She should not have been pushed out on a stage. No. You know? So, either way, regardless of whatever the truth is there, Britney's parents saw Sam Lutfi as the, quote, architect of her downfall. People think that he's a self-invented guru type that has attached himself to celebrities when they're having a vulnerable time. Uh, there's rumor that he tried to go after Courtney Love, who has called him a street hustler. He has said that he advised Amanda Bynes' family as they placed her in a conservatorship. Currently, he's subject to a five-year restraining order filed against him in 2019 by a conservatorship lawyer on Britney's behalf. Britney's parents hate Sam Lutfi and paint a terrible picture of him. And while I am not saying that he was a great guy with altruistic intentions whatsoever, it's very difficult to figure out where the truth lies with him. Because the stories that the Spears family told about him were that he drugged Britney, that he was manipulating her, and those stories were integral in getting the conservatorship passed. But the only evidence against him is what Lynn and Jamie have said. More on that to come. Look, I... I don't have the words besides I am a ball of rage. Yeah, I told you this was not going to be an easy one. A ball of rage. Look, we, uh, we've we barely scratched the surface. I know barely. we have a long way to go. We do. So we're going to take a quick break, grab a drink, maybe snag me some fries, uh, and we'll be right back with more on Britney Spears, the story so far on True Crime and Cocktails, Famous Fatalities Edition. One Nefarious Doctor, a hit podcast, and 15 million listeners later, Dr. Death is still making waves all over the world. Dr. Death is the true story of Dr. Christopher Dunch, a sociopath with a scalpel who left a trail of bodies behind him. Before he was stopped, 33 patients would become paralyzed or die under his care. Now the phenomenon of Dr. Death is being reimagined in a new streaming series starring Alec Baldwin, Anna Sophia Robb, Joshua Jackson, and Christian Slater, exclusively on Peacock. Experience three brand new bonus episodes of the Dr. Death podcast where the cast interviews the real-life characters they portray in the streaming series. Golden Globe Award winner Christian Slater sits down with Dr. Kirby, the doctor who finally took Dunch down. Anna Sophia Robb talks to Michelle Shugart, the district attorney who put him behind bars. And Dr. Death host and reporter Laura Beale speaks with the full cast about how making the show changed their perspectives on institutions and the medical system. To listen to these new bonus episodes, follow Dr. Death on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. 
Welcome back to this Britney Spears episode on True Crime and Cocktails. I normally write down a little something while we're in the beginning of our episode. Sure. Uh, when, when I'm the one doing more of the host than research. Yeah. I like to write down uh, just so I have a little something so I can reference things to go back. So I write myself a little script that I can just go into to lead us gently back in to the episode. And I was so taken and so mesmerized by everything you said that I I only made notes. I, I can't even begin to share half of these notes. Some negative things about Jamie, I will say for sure. Then I wrote sure. Ed McMahon with a pouty face. I wrote Vivian with all caps. <laughs> yep. uh, and Jay Leno's on my shit list. Yes. So I, I am saying this, dear people, to say... That's as 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 beautifully as you're going to be led back into our episode because I'm in a level that I don't know where I'm at now. So I can't wait to add to my shit list. I, I, I've just now added Ed McMahon, but I want to add even more to my shit list. So uh, where else uh, where else you want to take me? Ah, buckle up. Doesn't get any better. Mm. Okay. So this past spring, we of course where we left off talking about Sam Lutfi. <sighs> This past spring 2021, Sam Lutvey told the New York Times that Britney took to him in part because he told her that she didn't have to work nearly as hard as she was. She'd always believed there were some massive consequences if she didn't work, that she'd lose so much, and it blew her mind that she could just call the shots, he said. You want to cancel that meeting? Cancel it. You're going to lose five grand? Lose it. She'd walk into a car dealership, say she wanted something, I'd say buy it. Her parents would say, why would you let her do that? But it's an $80,000 car, not a yacht. And she just got $15 million from Estee Lauder. Anyway, she's an adult. I'm not going to tell her what to do, and I'm not going to tell her that she can't buy a fucking yacht. So again, I don't know. Again, I don't think Sam Lutfi is a good guy. I think he was he took advantage of her, and he saw an opportunity to potentially make easy money, etc. Sure. Of course. But again, as we get into this more and more, I'm like, I don't know that he was the cause of the downfall, is my mm, point. Which okay. is basically what Lynn and Jamie try to say. So one of the things that he did that's very questionable was he brokered relationships with the paparazzi on a, and on occasion even invited them into Britney's home, telling her that this would make them less adversarial. Britney then started dating one of the photographers, a man named Adnan Ghalib. So sorry, I, I got that incorrect. Mm-hmm. Lutfi claims that Adnan gave Britney amphetamines. And like I said, Lutfi has also been accused of giving her drugs, which he denies. Britney's housekeeper at the time paused when she was asked about Adnan Ghalib. She said, and I quote, I wouldn't be happy if my daughter dated him. That's all I'll say. Other people did recall him treating Britney kindly, but they also said that the Spears family cruelly mocked him behind his back. Of course they did. Yeah. Now, Jamie had become close to a woman named Lou Taylor, a business manager who shares the Spears family's Christian faith and whose husband is a pastor at an evangelical church. Taylor later raised the possibility of also putting Lindsay Lohan under a conservatorship, according to Lohan's father in a recent interview. Uh, Courtney Love also said Taylor tried to garner control over her family's estate. In a statement, her lawyer says that that none of that was true about any of those women. I don't believe anybody but Brittany in this case. So that's sure. where I'm coming from. Now, at this time, Brittany had stopped sleeping. She had begun behaving even more erratically. The days she didn't have the kids with her were hard, her housekeeper said. But even then, she was never doing anything to hurt anyone. 
it was really hard for her having the kids for just a few hours. When she had to say goodbye, it was very sad. I would carry one to the car and she would take the other and they would cry a lot and she would cry too. Brittany grew so lonely that she would sometimes ask the housekeeper if she could bring her own children to the house and stay the night. She used to ask me if I was happy, the housekeeper said, and I used to say yes. And she would say, I just want to be happy. I want to have a family. I want my kids to stay with me every day. (sighs) It was at this same time. A blogger known as Perez Hilton said, Thank you, Britney Spears. Being bad is good for my business. Being bad. I will remind you this woman was in a mental health crisis due to losing custody of her children. But for our younger listeners, once again, please remember, and I cannot stress this enough, no one talked about mental health at this time. It was on the fringe. It's not talked about like it is now. It's There was so much stigma. It was kept behind closed doors. I know that sounds crazy. <laughs> Don't pardon the pun um, because it wasn't that long ago, but it's just true. And the other thing to also remember is that on top of that, there was just too much money that could be made off of Britney's suffering by too many people. People that should have been helping her and reaching out didn't want to jeopardize their own piece of the pie. <clears throat> That's just the truth. There was an episode of Family Feud that aired at the time that had the question, name something Britney Spears has lost in the last year. There were seven answers on the board, which included such things as her husband, her hair, and her sanity. This was the society that we were living with at the time that thought that that was fun and funny. So I've always heard stories about what happened in January 2008. I always was under the impression that it was a custody dispute that brought an ambulance to her house and that Brittany was so out of control she needed to be taken to the hospital and placed under a 5150 psychiatric hold. Well, here is the story according to her housekeeper at the time. News reports and Sam Lutfi, who I again admit is problematic, but I am including some of his story here to give that side of it. Sure. So this is the story that has been cobbled together. A visit with the kids came to an end and Brittany began to cry. I just want to keep my kids with me, she said. Why do they have to go? A bodyguard arrived to take the kids back to Kevin Federline's house and every minute with them put her in violation of the custody agreement. She could either give up the kids at the moment or give up the right to see them later. Eventually, she handed Sean Preston to the bodyguard, but then went into a bathroom with Jaden and refused to come out. Now, according to Sam Lutfi, Kevin Federline's lawyer called the police and the fire department, who in turn called an ambulance. News crews gathered outside the house almost immediately, with news anchors reporting live on something they were calling a standoff. Four helicopters circled overhead. Lutfi says he arrived to find the house filled with cops and firemen wielding axes. It looked like a murder scene, he said. I pushed past everyone and opened the bathroom door. It was ridiculous. The locks on the door didn't even work. And there she was, standing, pacing, holding a sleeping baby. She was dressed up for a night out in Louboutins. The bath was running. You could see the light filling up the bathroom from the choppers. I told her she had to let Jaden go. And as she was about to hand him to me, the firemen blow things up. They take the kid and bring a gurney and strap her down. She didn't say anything. She was just looking at me, staring at me. Lutfi was later told that a 5150, as we know, an emergency psychiatric hold in which a person having a mental health episode can be involuntarily hospitalized, I believe it's for three days, was what was happening. Paparazzi surrounded the ambulance and followed it all the way to Cedar sinai Hospital. One photographer posted a photo he took of Spears on the gurney to his MySpace account with the caption, Ka-ching! Ka-ching! Mm. Had to take a small drink after that one. 
Doesn't yep. hurt my soul. Yep. Federline was granted immediate sole custody of the children, and Brittany's visitation rights were suspended indefinitely. Mm. It was widely assumed that Brittany had endangered her children that night, but those who were there flatly disagree. There's nothing she would ever do to endanger those kids, Sam Lufty said. He described her as a mother who would have breakfast made when the kids came over. She'd be dressed to a tea, games and DVDs ready. The housekeeper said, as a mom, I can tell you, Brittany was a good mom. She didn't want to hurt or have, do anything wrong with her kids. No, I was there, and I know all she wanted was to have her kids at least another night. This one is, I might cry. Robin Johnson, the court-ordered monitor who had to be there because she wasn't allowed to be alone with her own children. Remember this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Robin Johnson saw Brittany with her kids four times a week and said, quote, none of this was her fault. There were so many people involved in her life that caused all of this craziness with her. I don't have anything derogatory to say about her. It was probably one of the saddest cases I've ever done in my entire life. <sighs> that one just destroyed me when I read it. I, it destroys me now. Like the fact that that's a court appointed monitor who has seen, I'm sure seen it all the oh, fact that yeah. that person is saying this is one of the saddest cases i've ever seen because this poor woman was being painted in a way that just was not true i can't <laughs> i'm gonna need you to get me the blanket from the dryer <laughs> <laughs> oh i will absolutely have extra don't you worry <laughs> yep so after this 5150 jamie and lou taylor consulted lawyers about establishing a conservatorship for Brittany. Of course, Lou Taylor's lawyer denies this, saying, Taylor was more of a listener than a contributor on that call. Whatever, I can't. Jamie and Lynn were, were apparently terrified for their daughter. Multiple people said they were worried that Sam Lutfi might be siphoning money from Brittany or that he might encourage impulsive choices that would leave her in serious debt. The piranhas around Brittany were fucking awful. That is a quote from Andrew Gallery, who is a photographer who worked for Brittany, and said her, her parents were trying to help. A conservatorship seemed like an impossible dream at that point, with Sam still so entrenched in her life, Lynn wrote in her memoir, referring to Sam Lutfi. Jamie planned to file papers on January 22nd, but then Lou Taylor said that she felt God leading them to wait, fast, and pray, despite the frustration of a flanks of lawyers. Lynn then wrote, I shuddered to think of what depths of desperation we would have to plumb to regain charge of our child. She did not write that sentence. I don't believe it in a million years. A ghostwriter, whatever. Somebody else wrote that sentence for the love. <laughs> so, but like I said before, the, the, they were only really telling the story that Sam Lefty was taking advantage of Brittany with no proof. The only proof of it is their word. And his word is the opposite. So, according to him, Sam Lefty, Brittany had passed regular drug tests for much of the prior year, but she had begun taking Adderall while she was away for the holidays. On January 28th, she and Sam Lutfi had an argument. Lynn called a woman named Jacqueline Butcher, who was a family friend, asking for a ride to Brittany's house. Lynn told Butcher that she hoped the falling out with Sam Lutfi might provide an opening for her to reestablish contact with her daughter. Brittany had been keeping her family at an arm's length. Jamie, Lynn, and Brittany's brother Brian have all spent years on Britney's payroll. And as friends who spoke with her at that time recalled, she was becoming increasingly resentful of their efforts to influence her. 
Jacqueline Butcher, who had become friends with Lynn through the entertainment industry, spent nearly a decade in close proximity with the family before, during, and after the creation of the conservatorship. She remembered how during a trip to Las Vegas without Britney's parents or siblings, Britney asked her for comfort. She has anxiety, Butcher said. She called me on that trip and said, Miss Jackie, come to my room. She just wanted me to hold her hand. She was in the living room on a chair, and I pulled up a chair beside her and held her hand. Oh. If somehow... It's not going to get better. Miss Spears, if somehow... Yeah. You hear this. Yeah. I'll, I'll hold your hand. I have thought about this so many times. I'm like, if ever there were people that truly would want nothing from this woman other than her just being herself. Yeah. It is you and I and the community that we have created doing this podcast. Yeah. To your point, there are people who do not give a shit about what you have done with your life in terms of your fame and just want you to have support and friends in your life because, my God, if anybody needs it, it is this poor woman. My God. So... Jacqueline Butcher said that she was sympathetic at the time that maybe Britney did need to be getting a, taken away from Sam Lutfi and his influence, so she agreed to help Lynn. They drove to the house together in Butcher's gray Range Rover, but unbeknownst to Butcher, Jamie Spears was following behind them. Arriving at the ho- house around dusk, they were greeted by Sam Lutfi, who said that Britney had left and would not come back until Jamie was gone. Jamie was apparently furious. He was screaming about it. A security guard asked Jamie to leave. After he did, Brittany did return home with her boyfriend, Adnan Galib. Galib? I'm so sorry. She seemed odd and hyper, they said. She was talking in a baby voice, sitting up, standing down, compulsively combing her hair, repeatedly changing her clothes and her dog's clothes. That's when shit hit the fan, Jacqueline Butcher said. Lynn, Adnan, and Sam Lutfi all accused one another of being a poor influence on Brittany. Finally, Brittany shouted at all of them to shut up. Good. Which, yeah, good for her. Lynn writes in her memoir that Sam Lutfi called her two days later to say that somebody was trying to commit Britney again. Now, Sam Lutfi maintains that Britney's doctor called in a second 5150. Mm. Others close to the situation speculate that Sam Lutfi said something to the doctor to trigger that call. That's an allegation he, of course, denies. Jacqueline Butcher, Lynn, Sam Lutfi, and Britney were all at the house when the police banged on the doors and marched in. Jacqueline Butcher says it was a freaking circus. You would think it was a SWAT team taking down a drug ring. Cops, helicopters, fire department, you name it. Brittany, Butcher added, was cooperative but was crying and shaking as they strapped her to a gurney. At one point, Butcher said she moved to comfort Brittany and a first responder shouted at her to freeze and keep her distance. Brittany was loaded into an ambulance alone and taken to UCLA Medical Center with a police convoy literally the length of a football field. Uh, it's after midnight Jacqueline Butcher accompanied by Lynn and Adnan Ghalib followed the ambulance to the hospital at UCLA staff put them in a waiting room where they were joined by Jamie Spears and they stayed there Brittany had not given them permission to come see her sometime later they found out that Sam Lutfi had arrived and was in the room with Brittany and that's when Jamie blew his stack and was like that's it we're getting him out of here we're getting a conservatorship Um, the next afternoon Jacqueline Butcher joined Lynn at Brian Spears' apartment and at Lynn's request got on the phone with Jamie's attorney, Geraldine Weil. Lynn said that her throat hurt 
and that she was too fatigued to provide details. So she asked Jacqueline Butcher to speak with Weil for her for about an hour, providing a comprehensive account of the events at Brittany's house in the previous days. The lawyer, Weil, said she would write up a report and submit it to the court. In retrospect, Jacqueline Butcher says she feels she was exploited. I didn't know how a conservatorship worked. It was supposed to be temporary. Mm. I love, again, again, these are the moments where I go, Lynn, Mm. I'm not okay with you either. Nope. So, from that moving, from that moment, excuse me, the proceedings moved incredibly quickly. The next morning, Brittany's still in the hospital. Jamie, Lynn, Jacqueline Butcher go to a small courtroom in downtown L.A. Jacqueline had been told that she would be required to give more testimony and answer questions. Instead, according to her, Lynn told her, it's taken care of. The judge, Reva Getz, who has since retired, arrived, met them, and announced the conservatorship had been granted. Jacqueline Butcher said the whole process took less than 10 minutes. No one testified. No questions were asked. At the time, she felt relief that she felt she'd helped to protect Brittany, but now she says she's haunted by the event. A conservatorship was granted without ever talking to Brittany, she said, and whatever they claim about any input she had behind the scenes, how could you have assessed her then? Shouldn't you wait a week, then interview her? She never had a chance. Now, Judge Getz, of course, disputes this, saying there was lengthy confidential discussions addressing Britney's health and that it was incorrect to say Britney was not meaningfully assessed or given opportunities for input. She added, I can tell you unequivocally, I did not coordinate anything related to this case with anyone connected to the case before it came in. Why'd you go there, Judge Getz? No one accused you of that. Mm. All you were being accused of was not talking to Brittany now you're like I wasn't planning this ahead of time (laughs) we no nobody suggested that you you just did and now we know what's going on now we're suggesting it yeah because you did um now California requires conservatees be given five days notice before a conservatorship takes effect but this can be bypassed if a judge decides that they could suffer quote immediate and substantial harm Judge Getz appointed a probate lawyer named Sam Ingham as Brittany's advocate and then granted the conservator's petition petition to waive the requirement to notify Brittany of any of this was happening. Sam Ingham, for the record, remains in the role to this day. Brittany covers his annual salary of $520,000 a year. And for context, Brittany's living expenses in 2019 were less than $440,000. So she pays more money to him than she does to herself. (sighs) Jamie Spears became a co-conservator sharing duties with a lawyer named Andrew Wallet, as I've mentioned before. On the petition to establish the arrangement, Jamie or someone working with him checked a box saying Brittany had dementia. Oh my God. Jamie also filed a restraining order against Sam Lutfi on behalf of Brittany, and in her memoir, Lynn claims that Sam Lutfi told her that he had disabled Brittany's cars, cut the phone lines at the house, and crushed up her medications and gave them to her in her food. Jacqueline Butcher said that he she did see Lutfi give Mir- Spears what appeared to be prescription medication, but she can't corroborate the other allegations, many of which were never supported uh, by anyone else. Other people swore that they never saw anything like that from him, mm. including... The court monitor, Robert Robin Johnson. Um, again, these allegations against Sam Lutfi became central to the establishment of this conservatorship. But as I cannot stress enough, none of them have ever been ever confirmed. Just Lynn and Jamie. That's it. So this group goes from the courtroom to Jamie's lawyer 
Weil is her last name, law office. As Jamie spoke with Weil in a frosted glass conference room, Lynn and Jacqueline Butcher sat in a waiting area nearby. Jacqueline says she asked Lynn, don't you think you and Jamie should be co-conservators together? She mentioned that Jamie could be domineering and hostile towards Brittany. Um, that that was well known, that their relationship was strained. Jacqueline recalls Lynn saying that the conservatorship would only last a few months and it would be best for Brittany to resent Jamie rather than her when it was all over. You Mm. selfish, selfish human. But after they joined Jamie in the conference room with his lawyer, Jacqueline said that Lynn began talking about her hopes for how the conservatorship would be managed, and this prompted Jamie to shout about his control over his daughter's life, including Lynn's access to her, And at one point, Jamie bellowed, I am Britney Spears. This is something he apparently repeated multiple times during the early stages of the conservatorship. At that moment, Jacqueline says, Lynn grew quiet. And that is part of the reason I feel Lynn is culpable in all of this. And I'm also going to continue to talk about that in a section of this I'm going to call Lynn Spears is also kind of trash. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm just adding both Jamie and Lynn Spears uh, to my shit list, mm-hmm. which now mm-hmm. also includes Judge Getz. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a long list. Yep. I don't so, have enough paper. You don't. Uh, Lynn Irene Bridges was born May 4th, 1955 in Magnolia, Mississippi, to Lillian Irene Portell, who was a British woman of English and Maltese descent, and Barney O'Field Bridges, an American GI in 1945. Her parents met and married in London. Lynn has an older brother who is still living and an older sister who sadly passed away in 2007. Lynn grew up in Kentwood, Louisiana with Jamie Spears. They knew each other a long time. In 1975, when Lynn was 20, her brother was injured in a farming accident. Lynn was driving him to the emergency room when she struck a 12-year-old boy on a bike and killed him. Oh my god. 12-year-old Anthony Winters was playing on his bike in front of his house when Lynn turned a corner on the road in Kentwood. As Lynn rounded the curve, she could not avoid the boy in the street as there was oncoming traffic in the opposite lane. The boy died at the hospital as a result of his injuries. Lynn realized the boy was struck immediately and says that to this day, she is still grieved by the winter's loss of their son. So grieved that she wrote two whole short paragraphs about it in her memoir and then said that this is why she's so protective of her son, Brian, because of this incident. It's as though he was the dead boy. Lynn was never charged over the death of Anthony because Mm -hmm. it was an accident. So I guess vehicular manslaughter just wasn't a thing in Louisiana in 1975? Okay. Well, it wasn't for Brandy in the middle of the 90s, so. (laughs) Touche. Wow. Touche. Touche. That's that's something that's clearly been in my soul ever since it happened, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Well, that's where Um, we're at. After Lynn was married to Jamie, she became so furious at having been cheated on by him and discovering him drunk yet again that she hauled a chest full of booze out of his pickup truck and, this is a quote, I had a shotgun. I started firing before Jamie's brother was as out of the way as he would have liked. And then I blasted that chest to smithereens. I shot his beer, I shot his wine, and in a very real way, I think I shot the other woman, the mistress who had stolen my husband from me. I mean, I personally would have taken each bottle and just picked them up 
to hear because I need to hear the smashing glass, of as we know. But okay, okay. Yeah. I'm again. I'm just painting a picture. I'm just giving you the facts. Yeah, that's all I'm doing. Yeah. Lynn used to run her own daycare center. Friends describe her as traditional and non-confrontational. In a conversation with the New York Times this past June, she was polite as she declined to answer detailed questions about Britney's case. She Mm. spoke in a whisper and apologized that she might have to hang up abruptly if other family members walked in and discovered she was speaking to a reporter. I got mixed feelings about everything, she said. I don't know what to think. It's a lot of pain, a lot of worry, she added a little wryly. I'm good. I'm good at deflecting. Just like when you claimed to have a sore throat so made your friend give an hour-long statement about Britney's mental state in 2008? Is that what you're sheepishly referring to? Mm. Lynn was a teacher. She said in her memoir, Teaching was perfect for me. One of the great regrets of my life is quitting in 2000 to go on tour with Britney. But we know she didn't go on tour with Britney in 1997 as she had Felicia go with her. And I I was going to say maybe her biggest regret should have been that she wasn't with Britney more? Based on everything that's happened? Yeah. But I guess it is that she was with her too much. Gave up that teaching career of hers. Yeah. Well, we're happy you weren't teaching more youth of America. <laughs> so so America thanks you. Mm-hmm. So she also released this memoir that I've been referring to this whole time in September 2008. Just remember everything that happened with Britney in 2007 and 2008. And then Lynn thought it was appropriate to release a book in September 2008. Just capitalizing on that news, huh? I can't, I can't, I can't. What's worse is that she revealed in that book that Britney lost her virginity at age 14. Again, Lynn has then become another voice in that conversation that was truly none of anyone's business. Um, That's when she also said it was Larry Rudolph's idea to come up with this virgin till marriage story. Uh, In reality, Lynn says that Britney lost her virginity at age 14 to an 18-year-old football player soon after the Mickey Mouse Club. A source has said that Britney was dating the older football star while at school and that Lynn encouraged the relationship because she thought it would make her more popular. Oh my god. Brittany apparently spent a lot of time at her boyfriend's house and eventually lost her virginity over there. Her mother later admitted she regretted allowing her to date an older boy, but still allowed her to share her bedroom with Justin Timberlake when they got together. Lynn was said to be sure that they were having sex, but didn't raise any objections because she thought Brittany was in love and that Justin was good for her. I'm not about shaming teens for having sex, but the next paragraph will kind of solidify what my tone is about all of this. Oh, boy. The memoir also reveals that she knew Britney started drinking alcohol at age 13 and then at 15 started experimenting with drugs. This was when Britney went to Los Angeles to record her breakthrough album, Baby One More Time. In terms of the alcohol, Lynn reportedly didn't mind her children drinking as long as she was there. Because <laughs> she's a cool mom, right? In regards to the drugs, Lynn thought Britney was going through typical teenage problems, but that seemed to be more serious than she thought when Britney was allegedly caught boarding a private plane at age 16 with cocaine and marijuana in her bag. Lynn appeared to have very little control over her daughter's party lifestyle because by the age of 16, Britney was frequenting bars in New Orleans with her brother Brian, who is five years older than her. Just a reminder, just wanting to build a timeline. Yeah. Lynn says she knew Brittany was drinking, doing drugs, and having sex all before she was 16. And she still made the choice not to go on the road with her 
1997 and instead appointed a family acquaintance to go instead. I'm not a parent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think I might have made a different call on that. Oh, yeah. Even if I'm in a world where I'm like, you know what? My kids aren't doing anything like that. I'm still going to go with them. Yeah. Mm. It also came out this past June that Jamie Lynn, Britney's sister, is the only Spears family member not on Britney's payroll. I already went over Jamie's 18K a month. Yeah. Brian and Lynn have been on there for years, though it's unclear how much they're being paid. I, at one point, Lynn was quoted as saying she was never a manager for Britney or Jamie Lynn, but that she was paid for a time to work on Britney's fan club and website. Is that how you justify being on the payroll for years? I bet it is. But I digress. Back to 2008 and the beginning of the conservatorship. Three psychiatrists were approached asked and asked to provide a necessary declaration confirming Britney's lack of mental fitness. The mm. first two would not. What does that tell you? But mm. the third... Someone named James Spar did provide one. Earlier this year, in 2021, James Spar said of Britney Spears on a podcast, I don't know why she still has a conservatorship. I hear glass breaking now. Yeah. Yep. As a co-conservator, Jamie reinstated Larry Rudolph as Britney's music manager and installed Lou Taylor as her business manager, first for Britney's circus tour and then for her entire estate. Several people close to Britney said she did not care for Lou Taylor and was shocked that she was appointed to a controlling role in her life. Later, some members of Britney's team raised doubts about Taylor's financial management during her tours. One was quoted as saying, I'm not saying it was like a million dollars went missing. It wasn't that obvious. Money was just wasted in a particular way. And when I asked a question, I got shut down because nobody wanted to admit fault. Ugh. So Brittany is still in the hospital, her second 5150. She contacts a lawyer named Adam Streisand, like Barbara. Oh. When she was eventually released, she went straight from the hospital to the Beverly Hills Hotel to meet with Adam Streisand. He was a trial lawyer with a focus on conservatorships. He met with her. He says his first question was, does she have the capacity to hire me? He said she knew that she couldn't resist the conservatorship from happening, but that she just did not want her dad to be the conservator. She wanted a professional to do it. So in his mind, he was like, this sounds reasonable. I think yeah. that she is in sound mind. February 4th, my birthday, mm. Adam represented Brittany in a court hearing. He stated that Brittany had a strong desire that Jamie Spears not be a conservator. The judge said, I have a medical report and you haven't seen it and I'm not going to show it to you, but it shows that she doesn't have the capacity to hire you. So then the judge appointed Sam Ingham as the lawyer instead, who is her representative to this day that she did not get to choose. Adam Streisand feels this is inappropriate. He still does not know what's in that report to this day. But we know that the report came from Sam Ingham, the man that was then assigned to her. This, I don't know how that's fucking legal. But again... Get ready. Again, it's just, it's downhill from here. So it came from Sam Ingham. It included testimony from James Spar, the third psychiatrist in question. Um, I'd love to know what the first two psychiatrists have said, and I would implore them that if they're listening to this, they're probably not. Speak out. Speak out. My dream is that they are. <laughs> Me too. My dream is that anyone 
personally involved in this is listening because yep. then I'm going to say a really quick to Jamie and Lynn Spears, go fuck yourselves. Yeah. Uh, to Brian Spears, suck a dick. Oh, yeah. He, he We haven't even gotten to him yet, yeah. so you're going to want to save that because it'll get worse. But yes, go yeah. on. Uh, Jamie Lynn, I don't know yet. <laughs> and I, what I like is you're being discerning. Yes. And, and Brittany, let's just... Let's let's get some McDonald's. Let's sit down and just have a day. Yep. Dirty dancing. Yep. Footloose. I yep. can't think of any other dancing movies. How I don't about know this? why I thought she would like this? that. Yeah. Whatever she wants. Oh my god, that's even better. <laughs> You're right. You're right cuz I'm only thinking about what I would find comforting. Okay, scratch that. Brit. If I can call you Brit I will call you, I'll use whatever, whatever you'd like. Sure. If, if you want, we'll, we'll get whatever food you want. Yep. We can have a pool day if you want to have a pool day. Yep. We can have a movie day if you want to have a movie day. We yep. can do whatever. Do you want to play board games? Do you like Yahtzee? I love Yahtzee. Whatever you want to do, we are willing to do this for you. And then if someday you're like, I have a lot of things I want to talk about. I'll I'll write whatever you want me to write. Yep. I don't want a well, penny. Let me write. Yep. Whatever and just let me help you. I know. It's I know. Let's blanket Believe four. Me. Blanket four. Put it, keep the keep the tally. Yep. So there's often reference to Brittany having a quote grave mental illness as outlined in this mysterious sealed medical report that I couldn't figure out for the life of me what could possibly be in I'm like what what would this grave medical illness or sorry mental illness be so I consulted with a dear friend of mine his name is Jared Lipscomb Lipscomb I don't think I've ever said his last name out loud he's an amazing human he is a Britney advocate slash expert he actually educated me about the beginning of all of this a couple of years ago because I knew nothing about any of this I feel like this the rest of the world is just catching up now I feel like Britney's fans have known about this and have been screaming and it's taken the rest of us a long time to listen, which is a shameful thing. But I had to reach out to him to ask because I was like, I can't find anything about what this would even be. And he sent me the following response. And he told me that I could quote him, which I love. Of course. He said, to answer your question, we as Britney advocates do not believe any possible mental illness was reported back in December 2007 slash January 2008. Um... Sorry, we don't believe that any illness that was reported is legit. Also, if she suffered anything, it was grossly misrepresented to secure this corrupt conservatorship. Brittany, via her attorney, has requested these documents be unsealed. They haven't been. And that's why Brittany is being so public and vocal and insisting that the court hearings are public. There's also the corresponding evidence of the attorney, Adam Streisand, who we just talked about, where he basically alluded to the fact that she was fully mentally competent. Long story short, this mystery illness that we've been respecting her privacy for is actually just some BS. <laughs> I was oh. like, I love this so much. And Jared is the best. He ta- he has a lot of Britney coverage on his Instagram, at Jared Lips. And he also has an awesome podcast called Back On Air. So check that out as well. Much love to Jared. He is the greatest. So, and thank you to him for also helping me. Because I was like, I'm not trying to overstep. But I was like, I just, this was one of the things I was like, I just don't know what it could even be. 
grave mental illness that is, I just, anyway. So he basically said what my gut was saying. So after that ruling, the ruling being, of course, that Brittany has no capacity to retain an attorney, Brittany spoke with another lawyer whose name was John Erdley, who attempted to move the, the case to federal court. The lawyers for the conservatorship argued that Brittany lacked the capacity to hire Mr. Erdley to file the notice of removal on her behalf and therefore could not have hired him. The lawyers noted that Brittany did not have the right to meet with legal counsel and that she could only meet with Sam Ingham, who was chosen for her. It should also be noted, Ingham met with Brittany for about 15 minutes, two days after the conservatorship was granted, when he visited her in the hospital. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sounds very caring. Several sources close to the situation feel that Sam Ingham was loyal to Jamie, uh, despite representing Brittany. Jacqueline Butcher recalled Jamie saying that Ingham reported to him on Brittany's movements and activities. Now, John Erdley filed a declaration asking that Brittany be brought to court, insisting that she would testify truthfully that she did authorize him to make an action on on her behalf and that he did so. According to Rolling Stone magazine, Brittany told John Erdley on a phone call that was tape recorded, I basically just want my life back. Erdley filed another declaration arguing, among other things, that Brittany was being denied due process. It's obviously the conservatorship was planned well in advance of its implementation as a tool to influence the custody proceedings in the family law court and for other illicit purposes, he wrote. In another document, he also brought up that the last time Brittany tried to call him, her phone was taken away and the number was disconnected the next day. Now, Jonathan Martinez, I think that's how you pronounce that, which is a great last name, the senior director for law and policy at a Center for Disability Rights at Syracuse University, says that one of the most dangerous aspects of guardianships is the way that they prevent people from getting their own legal counsel. This is how he put it. Brittany could have been found holding an axe and a severed head saying, I did it, and she would still have the right to an attorney. But under guardianship, you literally do not have the rights that an axe murderer does. Oh, God. So less than two months after the second 5150, Brittany taped a guest appearance on the sitcom How I Met Your Mother. Publicly, her comeback had already started. Jacqueline Butcher remembers sitting in Brittany's home office on one of the first days after she was released from the hospital. Jacqueline, Lynn, Brittany are all sitting on the floor. Jamie's sitting at a desk. There's a TV nearby. Jamie says, baby. And Jacqueline says that she thought he was going to say, we love you, but you need help. What he did say was, You're fat. Daddy's going to get you on a diet and a trainer, and we're going to get you back in shape. Then he pointed at the TV and said, you see that TV over there? You know what it's going to say in eight weeks? That's going to be you on there, and they're going to say she's back. In the following (sighs) weeks, Jamie wore Brittany down. Jacqueline Butcher said he would get into Brittany's face, spittle flying, telling her she was a whore and that she was a terrible mother. Brittany was told that she could only see her kids again if she cooperated with him. Butcher also said that Lynn was just like, obey daddy and they'll let you out. So Brittany behaved. And they gave her limited access to her children. But Jamie got rid of anybody Brittany had been close to. The housekeeper who said such nice things, she's gone. Brittany basically tried to reach out to her. She was like, I'm sorry your dad fired me. And then Jamie told her, don't accept Brittany's calls again. Great. So now Jamie Spears is calling Britney names, shaming her, isolating her from everyone in her life, not allowing her to use a phone. I don't know how else to define it other than pure abuse. I mean, it is. It's pure emotional abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, You can help somebody also without having to control their entire life. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So then Britney has to go back into the studio to record her sixth album, Circus. 
A documentary was being filmed at the same time called Britney for the Record. Um, there's footage of her. There's footage of her doing an impression of Jamie where she says, you know, she don't listen to me. I scream at her and she gets on me about, about me screaming at her, but I can't do it. You're just going to have to talk some fucking sense into her. That was her impression of her dad. Now, Andrew Gallery, who was a photographer that I mentioned before, he was her director of content and worked on the documentary in 2008. He said that Brittany and him would talk. She would talk about how badly she wanted to get married again, that she wanted a husband, she wanted kids. Nobody thought that the conservatorship was going to be permanent. It was made permanent October 2008. So over the holidays that year, Brittany and Andrew Gallery were smoking cigarettes outside a dinner party. Brittany gives him a handwritten note on lined paper. It told her story in the third party third person, excuse me, how she wrote it, and asked him, could he please read it on TV? She was trying to get him to help her get another lawyer. The letter read in part, and again, she's written this as though she's being talked about. So it it said, she was lied to and set up. Her children were taken away, and she did spin out of control, which any mother would have in those circumstances. Brittany also wrote she had no rights and that the conservatorship would go on as long as the people are getting paid. So Andrew Gallery was like, I can read this on TV, but you know that they'll remove me from your life right away. So he said to she should sit on it for a couple of days. All of a sudden, every lawyer on the team is calling him, demanding that he come in. They take the letter from him um, and pushed him out of, he got fired immediately, of course, taken out of her life. He did read a copy of the letter on TikTok last year. So I went and watched all the videos so that you don't have to. It seems he made a copy of the letter at the time before giving it to the lawyers. And I will say, it, it appears that he created the TikTok to get the word out about there for Britney. I do feel that he's being genuine. The only videos on there, there's like five of him because it took five to read the letter. And right. there's three this year where he's, because he physically went to the, the court uh, proceedings in June of this year. Sure. So he talked about that. But there's no mention of her really on his Instagram. There's no mention of... You know, there's no, like, it just feels like he's being genuine. The The letter does match her handwriting. He shows pictures of it. I feel like he's trustworthy. Sure. So the letter basically says she didn't even necessarily want to divorce Kevin Federline, but she was forced to. She apparently had taken a trip to New York City. He refused to see her. She was really upset because People Magazine wrote, wrote ran a story about Kevin Federline, but the story was apparently just about Brittany and Lynn and that upset Lynn. Uh, upset Brittany because she said the biggest issue with Kevin was that he would wake and bake with marijuana every day at 5 a.m. Interesting. Uh, She referred to locking herself in the bathroom that night with Jaden, saying that her friend who was there told her to stay in the bathroom, that the police were leaving. She felt lied to and set up in the situation. It's possible she's referring to Sam Lutfi there and that Sam Lutfi has kind of misconstrued the truth. I don't know. I just, again, I present the facts. She admits to spinning out of control, like I said, she says she's been silenced. She said the people in charge of her made $3 million that year. Then there's a sentence that she wrote down but scratched out. But he showed it and you can see through the scratches that it said, if she speaks up, she is threatened. Oh. I then transcribed the last part of the letter. She would love for new eyes to see her situation. But if she brings it up, she is constantly threatened that the conservators will take her kids away. How long does this go on? As long as the people are getting paid and she has no rights. It could go on for a while. But it doesn't make it right at all. Everyone is very quick to put a gloomy eye on Brittany. Um, and then the final bit was, Brittany has given her brother a $2 million apartment, her mother a $4 million estate, and her father the best job in show business. She's a very giving person and would love to get the respect she deserves. I would like it noted. That during all of that, I added eight more blankets. 
Our tally is up to 12. Not great. Nope. January 2009, Christina Lutfi, who is Sam Lutfi's sister, got word that Brittany wanted a phone. She also got word that Brittany was going to be at the gym of the Peninsula Hotel in, Brittany, in Beverly Hills. So she got a prepaid cell phone, snuck in, pretended to be staying there, basically like followed her into the steam room and was like, hey, I'm Sam Lutfi's sister. Here's a phone in a Ziploc. Brittany was like, thank you so much, and hid it in her bag. Yeah, exactly. Jacqueline Butcher said that she found out she had the phone and she didn't rat her out. Thanks, Jacqueline. You shouldn't have ratted her out. But she did say that she was very worried because she was putting herself at great risk. Jamie, if he found out, would do terrible things like withhold access to her kids. That's what she said. Soon after that, her new housekeeper heard her talking on the phone, did rat her out to Jamie. Jamie confiscated the phone and... uh, I'm sure that she probably paid the price. She probably didn't get to see her kids for a little while. It's so fucking sad. I just, I I can't. So, Jamie files restraining orders on Brittany's behalf against Sam Lutfi, John Erdley, you remember that was one of the lawyers who was trying to help her, and her ex-boyfriend, Adnan. In later hearings, Jamie's lawyers alleged that there was a conspiracy among the three of them to undermine the conservatorship and claimed the audio of Brittany talking to John Erdley had been doctored. No proof of that. John Erdley's career unraveled. The State Bar of California filed disciplinary charges against him for attempting to represent Brittany without having obtained consent to do so. He was subsequently found culpable of misconduct for writing bad checks on his client trust account, and he was disbarred. Roger Diamond, who is a lawyer whom John Erdley hired to represent him in his dealings with the Spears family, asked, Where is he? Have you talked to him? I haven't heard from him in years. Diamond added that of the conservatorship hearings, I think John stumbled onto a real scandal in the probate law of California. It was shocking to me to see the way in which there was room for favoritism on the part of the judge. I had a feeling in the courtroom there was a cover-up going on. <sighs> so, Sam Lutfi, John Early, they get a new lawyer, John Anderson, okay? Lutfi apparently says he set up the meeting. Brittany has a secret meeting at a hotel in Beverly Hills. She signed papers retaining John Anderson's legal services. January 27th, 2009, John Anderson notifies Jamie's lawyers of a petition to grant Brittany the authority to appoint independent counsel. The same day, he spoke to two of Jamie's lawyers. The next day, he sends an email to Sam Lufty and John Erdley writing, I can say no more, will do no more, and cannot communicate with anyone in this regard any further. That is the end for me. This lawyer lasted one day. What did Jamie's lawyers say to him? That they were going to have him disbarred like they did John Erdley? This is getting wild at this point. This is somebody who's trying to help her who's like, yes, I'm doing everything legal. And then the next day is like, I'm out. Don't ever contact me again. Mm. I mean, I don't know what to say. Early 2009, a gentleman, Jordan Miller, he was a student at the time. He, he started a Britney fan site called Breathe Heavy. He started the sentence, breathe, uh, free Britney. That was kind of like his thing. Sure. A few months later, he gets a call from Jamie Spears, who told me he was going to destroy my ass. He was on the call for two or three minutes. I got no words in edgewise. I was shaking in my childhood bedroom, terrified. Again, this this is a young kid, basically. Um, He was then basically told he had violated copyright law, so he took the website down, but then he put it back up again because he wanted to stick to his conviction. Again, at that point, there was only a handful of people that even knew, had really picked up on what was going on, you know? 
2012, she's hired as a judge on The the X Factor. Her makeup artist on that show said she seemed robotic. Her head was down in the corner. She'd just come when she was called. Kim Vo, again, the hair, hair colorist we remember from before, said we were never alone, never unmonitored. He also was the one that mentioned that when they went to a dinner, the bill was $1,300, and she said she was sorry, but she couldn't afford to pay her half because she was only given $2,000 a week allowance, no matter how much money she earned. At this, I mean, the X Factor, she earned $15 million alone. And she's being, I mean, I can't with that. I can't with that. That's her money. She yeah. can spend her money on whatever she wants to. Mm-hmm. Many people in her life were used to her changing her phone number all the time. So now that she seemed a little more secluded, a, a bunch of people said, you know, they didn't really think anything of it, which is so tragic. Then she began her residency in Las Vegas. She was being paid $300,000 a night. But it was required that she remain under the conservatorship. It was in the contract. The following year, God, this is just getting me all riled up. The following year is when Sam Ingham told Judge Getz that Brittany was unhappy with her father as the conservator wanted to terminate that arrangement. She also said that Brittany was interested in retiring from performing, but the conservatorship wasn't going to allow it. The Times reported that those gathered, including the judge and lawyers on both sides, raised the possibility that it was her boyfriend who was putting her these thoughts in her head. Because her a boyfriend female at the time, can't think nope, on her own? Nope. Her boyfriend at the time was a man named David Lucado, a non-Hollywood type from Atlanta, who, after they broke up, defended Britney, said she was an amazing mother, spoke out against the conservatorship. His relationship with her end, ended when Jamie bought a video of him kissing another woman and showed it to Brittany. Jamie claims he was trying to keep it off the internet. Yeah, right, sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Sam says, Sam Lutfi says, Brittany sporadically reaches out to him. They'll go years without contact. Then she'll call him from, like, hiding in a closet. Um, she, he believes she, ha- she does have a phone, but that it's mirrored by the lawyer's phone so they can see absolutely everything she's doing. One time she called him, apparently, from a Ralph's in Calabasas, uh, from a random person. was literally like, could I use your phone? And makes a call. She also asked, apparently, to borrow a phone at the gym one time and just ran off with it, like stole somebody's phone, because she's just trying to get help and no one is helping her. This is where she's at. Friends of hers say that she has been made a zombie, that it's not the same girl. Um, Her... Las Vegas residency got extended, so she did two years. It got extended another two years, and that's when Jamie was granted 1.5% of the gross revenues from the performances and the merchandising. So this is on top of his monthly salary. The show went on to gross $138 million, um, which means Jamie made over $2 million. Just because. So 2015 is when her Instagram posts started to change a little bit. She started posting these kind of like low-res selfies, inspirational quotes. People were starting to wonder if she was trying to send messages through her posts. And that started an entire podcast called Britney's Graham, where they basically like dissected her posts and were trying to figure out, you know, is she sending a message? She also started posting photos of her new boyfriend, a 23-year-old actor and model named Sam Sam Asgari. Um, It should be noted that he used to work out at the same gym as, as I did in North Hollywood at the same time as this. So it was super weird to see him on Britney's Instagram and then go to the gym and he was there. Oh, you just yeah. Don't, yeah, it was it was a trip. So, October 15th, 2018. Co-conservator Andrew Wallet petitions and is awarded a raise. That's right. He asked for and received a base salary of $426,000 a year, which brings me to a side note. Andrew Wallet is a gross snake. 
Okay. Why? I think this sentence says it all. Andrew Wallet once referred to Britney's conservatorship as more of a hybrid business model. A hybrid business model that she has no choice about being in? I can't. That sound you hear is me adding him to my shit list. (laughs) (laughs) I had no doubt. Yep. So, some quick points that I pulled from the legal documents that he petitioned for his raise. He repeatedly admitted to acting as conservator of the person Britney Spears, but he was only appointed to be the conservator to the estate of Britney Spears. So that's inappropriate, first of all. Um, He complains that he would be making much more money doing the same kind of work elsewhere. Maybe go elsewhere then. Um, Mm. He boasted of removing people from Britney's personal life he deemed bad. Not your place. Uh, This isn't the first time he asked for a raise. He also filed a request for one in 2013. I cannot find out. I I, I can't figure out whether he got it or not. But that part of that, that filing was included in this new filing. And in that section, he stated the following. The conservatee's business activities have greatly accelerated due to her increased well-being and her capacity to be more engaged in furthering her career activities. That means she doesn't need a fucking conservatorship. Period. He insists his goal is for her to be financially secure enough to live comfortably the rest of her life without having to work, should she choose not to do so. But I want to make it clear that under a conservatorship, she legally is unable to make decisions about where she's going to work. She cannot legal legally enter into contracts with employers. She has no freedom to make those decisions. Ah. 18 blankets. Ah. So, I mean, saying that it should be viewed as a hybrid business model, I can't. I just can't. Um, He was also talking about how he's doing the work of a business manager and a business manager would make far more money. I can tell you from being in this industry, a business manager makes, takes 5%. Uh, If Brittany is worth roughly 60 million at this point, that would mean that 5% of that is 3 million. So that means if someone was with her from the very beginning of her career ever, that means that they should have $3 million. But we also know that for the past three years, he's been making this 426000 So even if he was making whatever, 300000 for the 10 years prior, he's still well over $4 million at this point, and he's only been working with her since he was forced into her life in 2008. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And being in a situation where you can't choose whether you want to work, I am going to say right now is human trafficking. Because if you look up the definition of human trafficking, human trafficking involves the use of force, fraud, or coercion to obtain some type of labor or commercial sex. So I would say being forced to sing and dance and put on a show against your will counts. doesn't have to involve sex. 100%. So keep in mind, she's paying this guy $426,000 a year. She's appointing her appointed lawyer, Sam Ingham, $500,000 a year. Her dad gets $216,000 a year, plus his $2 million on the Vegas deal. All because her dad forced her into this. She's paying all of these men all of this money. Not because she wants to or because they're doing work for her, but because she's been forced to. She should sue them, by the way. She talks about that in her statement that she made this year. She should get to sue them because I think she's got a case. So it's super convenient that Andrew Wallet files this petition because three days later, on October 18th of that year, Brittany was set to announce her new Vegas residency. Isn't that interesting? 
that three days prior he filed that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she was supposed to announce domination at a live event in Vegas. This event was live streaming. It was hosted by Mario Lopez, tons of fans. She comes out. She's supposed to, you know, sing, dance, give interviews, announce the show. She literally comes out, walks down, and walks out. She does nothing. She doesn't talk about the show, doesn't do anything she was supposed to do. Clearly, she's unimpressed with this situation. We learned later she didn't want to do it. So. Good for her. Yes. So early 2019, it is announced she's actually canceling that residency and was going on a work hiatus because of her father's health. Jamie had undergone emergency surgery for a ruptured colon, so I guess that was the period of time he wasn't only metaphorically full of shit. <laughs> I am so proud of that one. I I like it a lot. I love that my thing was going to be, oh, so he didn't die. I also love that I wrote, that was insensitive. I don't care. He's been abusing his daughter for years. <laughs> yeah. I stand by it. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Ugh. So, my God, I know I've got to get through so much. We're, we're going to go long, kids. Just buckle in. So, at this time, 20, January 2019, suddenly out of nowhere, she stops posting on social media. Out of nowhere. Oof. Yes. Then, Andrew Wallet, you know the guy who <sighs> just got that raise? Mm-hmm. Resigns. He resigns out of nowhere. He just got a raise. He resigns. He got a $100,000 parting payment. And then the following month, TMZ reports that Britney had checked herself into a mental health facility for 30 days. Meanwhile, the Britney's Graham podcast gals received an anonymous voicemail basically saying, I can't disclose who I am. I used to be a paralegal for an attorney who worked with Britney's conservatorship. I no longer work with them. And then the caller outlined that Britney had been forced into that mental health facility in January against her will and had been there ever since. It's believed she was in there at least four months. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Larry Rudolph denies that it's true. Britney's camp says the voicemail was fake. But then Britney magically posted on Instagram again. A, a post that said, we all need to take time for a little me time. And then a colon and a bracket, like a happy face. But anyone who follows Britney knows she uses a ton of emojis. Why would she suddenly do an old school happy face? Maybe it's because someone else was posting for her to try oh, and make it look like it was her. they were. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to post as somebody else, do your motherfucking research. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Not that I want them so, to get away with it, but that's my point. Oh, I am 100% on board with that. So Larry Rudolph, again, denies that. Oh, blah, blah, blah. I went back. So sorry. So Brittany resumes posting, and then her fans start looking at her post looking for clues. There's this kind of conspiratorial energy that starts... A fan will leave a comment saying, if you need help, wear yellow in your next video. And then in the next video, she's wearing a yellow shirt. This is what started to happen. <sighs> the video, the Instagram account also kind of gets bizarre. She's posting multiple near identical photos of herself, videos of her dancing passionately alone in her house. Fans are starting to think either this means she's unwell or her team is making her look unwell in order to justify the conservatorship, which I think is really possible. Uh, a member of her team claims that aside from about 1% of her posts, uh, which may incur liability, she pretty much has total control of her social media. Would anybody be telling her to put that stuff up? It's detrimental to the brand. Trust me, if I had my way, that's not what she'd be posting. But the point is, she's not a prisoner with no rights that some people in the Free Britney movement are trying to make her out to be. I think you're you're protesting a little too much there, because it should also be noted, she has to 
send everything she wants to post to a service who then decides if it gets posted or not. Brittany doesn't post anything herself. She's not allowed to. So by saying she has total control is simply false. <laughs> yeah. Tabloid reports then come out saying Jamie is on bad terms. This is when the restraining order is filed for the fight with Sean Preston. Uh, that's And then at that point, Jamie steps down from his duties with Brittany, citing his health reasons, and not at all because his grandson was saying he was abusing him. Yeah, right. Mm. So... Lynn then out of nowhere says she wants to be a part of Britney's medical decisions. I want a voice in my daughter's life. Isn't that fun that after 11 years of watching Jamie call your daughter a whore and a bad mother, forcing her to do things she doesn't want to do, now you want to have a voice? Fun. Britney's brother Brian, I've been teasing, we're going to get him on the shit list right now after this paragraph. He did a podcast interview in which he said he doesn't know what free Britney means. Then he makes a couple jokes. Then he says the women in the family are super opinionated and do what they want to do. And as a guy in the family, it, quote, kind of sucks. The host then says, do what they want to do. Well, that's constitutional. Brian goes on to say, well, Britney's been in the conservatorship a while and all they can do is hope for the best. She's always wanted to get out of it. And you do nothing, Brian. You continue to live in a $2 million apartment that she bought living off of a salary that she gives to you for doing nothing, and just go, eh, he's on the list. <laughs> I knew he would be. August 2020, Brittany and her lawyer, Sam Ingham, uh, put forward she wants a bank to handle her money. In that document, she says she appreciates her fans' quote, informed support, which is an interesting way of putting that, suggesting mm. they're on the trail. Mm. November 10th, 2020, there's a court hearing. Attorneys for Brittany, Jamie, and Lynn are present. The public is allowed in. Brittany says she refuses to work until Jamie is no longer managing her career. Lynn says she wants sole conservatorship. Wants her daughter to wake up tomorrow to see brighter days. It took her 12 years to come to this. And I also want you to keep in mind that in this case, this is a great example where Brittany pays for her own lawyer. She plays for her conservators. She pays for her conservators' lawyers. So she is literally financing this entire court battle for what? To get her life back, it makes me want to scream into the void. The judge says they're not going to make an order to suspend Jamie that day, but appoints Bessemer Trust, the bank, the bank that Brittany chose, as co-conservator of Brittany's $60 million estate. Her court-appointed lawyer, Sangingham, says Brittany's a high-functioning conservatee, but that really makes it seem like she doesn't need a conservatorship. But the secret grave mental illness, right, guys? Yeah, uh, I I'm getting to a level that I don't like. I feel like I'm vibrating a few inches off the chair. I just I don't know how I feel. I know that I feel like I need to pee. Yep. So we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back. We're gonna talk more about Britney Spears. I'm gonna add to my shit list. I promise. We'll be right back with more true crime and cocktails right after this. CheapCaribbean.com has been around for over 20 years and is in the business of providing the best all-inclusive beach vacations you can find. All-inclusive beach vacations mean you get to eat all the food, drink all the alcohol and non-alcoholic beverages you want, and there's also fun beach and night activities. Everything is included when you book at CheapCaribbean.com. Now, Cheap Caribbean has no change fees, and when you book at a Cheap Caribbean resort and add trip protection, you can book with confidence. Less money, less worry, more beach. Also, be sure to check out either a Dreams or Secrets Resort when you book with Cheap Caribbean. 
Right now, you can take $100 off your next beach vacay when you visit CheapCaribbean.com slash true-crime-cocktails. We'll see you on the beach. Welcome back, everyone, to True Crime and Cocktails. We are talking Britney Spears, and I just want to say, Britney, before I talked about a hangout, now I would like to talk more about you becoming my daughter. I want to <laughs> adopt. Yes. I'm willing to give friendship. Yep. But if you need more than that, I am only partially ch- like kidding. But like, if if you need a mother figure. I give good hugs. Yep. My cookies are good. I'll let you stay up as late as you want. It'd be an honor to walk you down the aisle. <laughs> I also haven't officially chosen my grandma name yet. But I might go crazy. I might be like, I need to go next level. And I might be a Mima. I don't know. I knew you were going to say me, Ma. That was my instinct. The point is, Brittany, I'll let you choose. I'll let you choose yeah. whatever you want. Yeah. I'll be your yeah. housekeeper for free if you want. And you know what? I'm bringing fucking cell phones with me. Yeah. You want to use my phone while I'm there cleaning your house? Use my phone. Yep. Ignore Among Us. It's a weird thing. The point is... I am genuinely ready to legally adopt her if it will somehow get her out of this, where I can yep. be like, I'm now her parent. By the way, your your money's yours. If you'd like to marry that very beautiful man that you're dating, okay. Oh, Go do oh, your thing. Do you want another child? Meemaw's here. So I love uh, Mima. I love her. I, know, I damn well love her. I know. I feel like Mima's. I don't. I don't know. I pray to God. I have decades before I have to worry about that. But the point is, I will. Uh, I'll be the best damn Mima that she needs. You know. I think I'm up to twenty six blankets, but I'm sure yeah. you'll add more to the pile, and I'm excited to see oh, where we yeah. uh, where we go with that. Yeah, I'm going to try and blow through the rest of this because mm-hmm. I'm sure we're going to set a record. My episodes are too long. But anyway, all right. No such so, thing. Bless it. Now we're to this year's hearing. So April of this year, Brittany had requested a hearing in open court to discuss the terms of her arrangement. It was scheduled for June 23rd. Members of her team, most of whom have had little or no direct contact with her for years, didn't expect anything really to come from it. Jamie stepped down in 2019 from his duties overseeing her personal life. They assumed that she just wanted him off of her finances. That was basically it. The night before, June 22nd, Brittany's management team started getting nervous, according to a person both close to Brittany and to law enforcement. Law enforcement in Ventura County, where she lives. Brittany called 911 to report herself as a victim of conservatorship, conservatorship abuse. Now, emergency calls in California are generally accessible to the public, but the county, citing an ongoing investigation, sealed her call. So, members of her team start to panic. They're worried about her potentially going rogue in court. One of them tried to get the judge to clear the courtroom and seal the transcript of her testimony. Brittany, of course, called in and objected. Somebody's done a good job at exploiting my life, she said, adding, I feel like it should be an open court hearing. They should listen and hear what I have to say. And then she went for it for 24 minutes. Good for she her. 
said that the people who did this to her should go to jail. She spoke really fast. The judge had to ask her to slow down a couple of times because she was trying to get the information out. But she was lucid, articulate, passionate. Mm -hmm. She killed the game, in my opinion. She sounded great. So she described what she's been going through. She's been isolated, medicated, financially exploited, emotionally abused. She blamed the California legal system. She added that she tried to complain to the court before but was ignored. She said she felt like she was dead. She felt like she didn't matter. She said, it concerns me. I've been told I'm not allowed to expose the people who did this to me. All I want is to own my money for this to end and for my boyfriend to drive me in his fucking car. I don't think she's allowed to be in a a car with him. So, probably not a car alone or something. Probably worried that she'll run. Anyway, during the hearing, she also discussed, remember January 2018 where she stopped posting and they're like, she checked herself into a mental health facility. Well, guess what? She didn't check herself in. She was forced to go on tour by her managers and was threatened that she would be sued if she refused. After the tour, she was told she had to start rehearsing for Domination, even though she said she wanted to take a break. Her team says that this is a lie. Um, They said that they only had to force her hand when she started to attempt to renege on the deal. They admitted to forcing her hand about her working. She asked for a break and they forced her not to take the break. How is that legal? That's, again, that's human trafficking. You're forcing someone to work against their will, period. One day she said, so she she goes to work is the other thing. She gives in. Fine. She goes to work. She's in rehearsal. She refuses to do a specific dance move. She didn't like it. And she said it was as though she planted a huge bomb somewhere. She's always had creative control. That's always been a thing in the past. Many people have talked about how everything had to be run by her. She's the boss. In this situation... They reported to her therapist who told her she, he had been informed by her managers that she was no longer cooperating or taking her medication, which is so dumb, she added, because I've had the same lady every morning for the past eight years give me my same medication, and I'm nowhere near these stupid people. She doesn't even give herself her own medication, is what I took from that. She has to have, I'm sure she's paying out of her pocket oh, yeah. to have a woman give her her medication, mm-hmm. and medication that she's not consented to. Mm-mm. So in reaction to her pushing back on that one move, something I also think completely within her right as a creative, uh, her therapist just decides to put her on lithium. Said uh, She says the new medication made her feel drunk and scared. Lithium is extremely strong, by the way. Uh, that's well documented. Works great for some people, but again, it was a huge shift out of nowhere for her. Over the holidays, a woman came to perform a psych test and then her father told her she had failed and had to go to rehab. I cried on the phone for an hour and he loved every minute of it, she said. The control he had over someone as powerful as me, he loved the control to hurt his own daughter. 100,000% he loved it. At the rehab facility, she said she had to attend 10 hours of meetings a day, 7 days a week for 4 months. And if she didn't cooperate, she wasn't allowed to see her kids or her boyfriend. That rehab cost $60,000 a month, paid for by her. I did a lot of digging trying to find out what rehab that was. I have suspicions, but I cannot confirm it. But I will just say that if it's the one I think it was, the man who runs it, yeah, he um, maybe has is practicing with an expired license. And I'm coming for you, baby boy. <laughs> I digress. I just want to adopt you too, you know? <laughs> Oh, I, at that point, I was just like, you can't do that! Anyway, so, as 
Brittany was privately resisting her father's involvement in her conservatorship. He used her money to fight her. Uh, recent court documents have shown that Jamie's lawyers billed nearly $900,000 for four months of work from October 2020 to February 2021. Okay. Sam Ingham, you remember, court-appointed lawyer from the beginning, mm. uh, he started to, you know, shift, started to talk about, like, the free Britney movement not necessarily being a bad thing and that the scrutiny is reasonable and, you know, you know, predictable as, you know, Jamie's being so aggressive about keeping things sealed and... You remember how um, the financial firm Bessemer Trust was appointed co-conservator in 2020? Yeah. Well, following her testimony in, in June of this year, they've resigned from that role because they said, well, Brittany doesn't want to have a conservatorship and we don't think this is right. Lynn has also started to oppose Jamie's involvement, saying he's toxic with Brittany. So what this smells like to me is Sam Ingham and Lynn Spears are throwing Jamie under the bus to try and maintain their position on Brittany's payroll. Sorry, not sorry. Mm. I'm standing by that. Mm -hmm. And that Bessemer is like, this is the right thing to do. And they're the only people thus far involved who've said, I'm getting out of this because she doesn't want it and this isn't right. So then she got, of course, into the IUD. She said, I have an IUD inside of myself right now so I don't get pregnant. I wanted to take it out so I could start trying to have another baby. But the so-called team won't let me go to the doctor to take it out because they don't want me to have any more children. I can't. She also says she's not allowed to get married. It's just wild to me. It should also be noted that when contacted for comment, one of Jamie's lawyers declined to answer specific questions that characterize, but did characterize his behavior as that of a loving father. They also said he saved his daughter from possible ruin. They also referred to Jamie as daddy in that statement and objected to the idea that he had anything to do with an IUD as he is a churchgoer. Yeah, because he's such a man of God. Give me a break. So... Unbelievable. It should also be noted that it came out that in 2008, shortly after the conservatorship was established, Larry Rudolph told Rolling Stone magazine the next step in her recovery was getting her a new boyfriend because, quote, she's a relationship girl. And that's when she started dating uh, a man named Trawick, Trawick, who was her agent, I believe, at the time. Um, they got engaged in the early 2010s, and then they made him a co-conservator at that time. It's like you're just throwing around these titles which is so bizarre now some people think that the silence around the conservatorship was well-meaning because there's been so much invasiveness into her life and that people want to give her privacy one person on her team claimed she was down to just a few million dollars when the conservatorship was established and points to her net worth now her assets are estimated at more than 60 million dollars that's evidence that it's looked out for her interests but to that I say you were making wild assumptions about what her interests are she has said repeatedly for her entire life her dream was to have a family, a husband, and children. And guess what? A few million dollars is still a heck of a lot of money, and you can have a pretty great life on that for a while. Plenty of people do not need $60 million to live their dreams. And the only reason she amassed that amount of money was because she was being forced to perform when she didn't want to and was told she couldn't say no or her kids would be kept from her. The one time she tried to say no, she ended up in an intense rehab program for four months. My bottom line is this. It's also very easy to argue that someone is incapacitated when you control their medications and the doctors who give them. So there's also lots of other ways that you can help people in these times. There's different kinds of like powers of attorney that can be done and stuff like that. A woman who is a disability rights attorney for the ACLU, Zoe Brennan-Crone, says that she believes judges should be asking conservators if they've tried less restrictive options and if they haven't, 
the conservatorship should be suspended. But she says, and I quote, I have never heard of a judge asking that in any situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Liz McCarley, an estate and probate lawyer in Los Angeles, describes the city's probate court system as being plagued with judges appointing advocates from a small list of favored lawyers. Sam Ingham, she says, has made a lot of money bullshitting people. In one hearing, you remember Judge Getz, she's on the shit list, mm. she told him she didn't recall an order specifically preventing Britney from getting married, but said, quote, you may not want to tell Britney that, to which he replied, Somehow that didn't come up in conversation. That's what they're talking about this woman's life. Like it's a game. So less than after less than a week after she made the statement in court in June, Jamie's lawyers submitted a filing that said Britney's unhappy because of Jody Montgomery. Jody Montgomery had been serving as a conservator of Britney's person since September 2019 when Jamie had stepped down. And Ingham had petitioned for her to be permanently appointed. But then it was like, well, maybe she didn't like her. Maybe that's a problem. And it's just like, it's just, it's so clear that she wants out of this. She's made it so clear. And the fact that they're trying to now cover their asses with all of this stuff is just so boring and, and obviously false. You know, now they're saying Britney's being manipulated by Sam Asghari, her new boyfriend. And it's like, you know what? And, And there's this grave medical diagnosis. Don't forget. And it's like... She's asked it to be unsealed. Let's unseal that medical record. What's stopping it? She has asked for it. Now, again, she has no rights, so she can't. Um, but I'm thinking they'd open the file and moths would fly out because they realize it'd been empty for 13 years. That's what I'm, that's what my gut is telling me. So, Martinis, you remember, the disability mm-hmm. rights lawyer, said that many guardianships can prove inescapable, which is why they are vulnerable to abuse. In extreme cases, he said the strategy is often isolate, medicate, liquidate. Isolate the person, medicate them to keep them quiet, liquidate the acids. And you got to think about it this way. If a conservative functions well under conservatorship, then that can be framed as proof that it's and a necessity it's in that person's life. Yeah. If they struggle with the conservatorship, conservatorship, you can make the same conclusion. They need it. They clearly need it. If a conservative gets out and then stumbles into a crisis or something like that, which is a likelihood because they've been disempowered for so long, then that can also reinforce they clearly need it. They wouldn't have made this mistake if they were still in the conservatorship, right? And he talks about the fact that it's like humans make mistakes. But with this, it's saying to people that you can never make a mistake or you're going to be held to this impossible standard. And he said, just watch. If Brittany gets out, the first mistake she she makes, fingers will wag and people will say this never would have happened if she was still under guardianship. And I think he's right. 100%. So I read the entire 24-minute transcript of her testimony. There are some things I'd like to mention very quickly, and then I will wrap things up. These are her words. I packed my bags and went to that place. I worked seven days a week, no days off, which in California, the only similar thing to this is called sex trafficking. I love that I didn't even know this. I I was making the trafficking connection before I even read this, which I was like, yes, Brittany, we're on the same page. Mm. Making anyone work against their will, taking all their possessions away, credit card, cash, phone, passport, and placing them in a home where they work with the people who live with them. They all lived in the house with me. The nurses, the 24-7 security. There was one chef that came there and cooked for me daily during the weekdays. They watched me change every day naked, morning, noon, and night. My body. I had no privacy door for my room. I gave eight vials of blood a week. Oh, my I've lied and told the whole world, I'm okay and I'm happy. It's a lie. I thought I just 
I thought I just maybe if I said it enough, maybe I might become happy because I've been in denial. I've been in shock. I am traumatized. You know, fake it till you make it. But now I'm telling you the truth, okay? I am not happy. I can't sleep. I'm so angry. It's insane. And I'm depressed. I cry every day. <sighs> this one is tough. But my precious body, who has worked for my dad for the past fucking 13 years, trying to be so good and pretty, so perfect, when he works me so hard, when I do everything I'm told, and the state of California allowed my father, ignorant father, to take his own daughter, who only has a role with me if I work with him. They've set back the whole course and allowed him to do that to me. That's given these people I've worked for way too much control. I can't. I didn't know I could petition the conservatorship to end it. I'm sorry for my ignorance, but I honestly did not know that. I believe her on that. She talks about how she saw a doctor called Dr. Benson, who I believe was a psychiatrist. She said, when he died, I got down on my knees and thanked God. Mm -hmm. She said, he 100% abused me by the treatment he gave me. Uh, I have trapped phobias being in small rooms because of the trauma, locking me up for four months in that place. I'm not okay for them to send me. Sorry, I'm going fast. That To that small room that like twice a week with another new therapist that I pay that I never even approved. I don't like it. I don't want to do that. And I haven't done anything wrong to deserve this treatment. Then she says, ma'am, I've worked since I was 17 years old. You have to understand that, that for me, every morning I get up to know I can't go somewhere unless I meet people I don't know every week in an office identical to the one where the therapist was very abusive to me. I truly believe this conservatorship is abusive and we can sit here all day and say, oh, conservatorships are here to help people. But ma'am, there is a thousand conservatorships that are abusive as well. And then this is, this is the final one I'll, I'll give you. I deserve to have a life. I've worked my whole life. I deserve to have a two to three year break and just, you know, do what I want to do. But I do feel like there is a crutch here. And I feel open and I'm okay to talk to you today about it. But I wish I could stay with you on the phone forever. Because when I get off the phone with you, all of a sudden, all I hear are all these no's. No, no, no. And then all of a sudden, I feel ganged up on, and I feel bullied, and I feel left out and alone. And I'm tired of feeling alone. July 6, less than two weeks after she gave this testimony, her manager, Larry Rudolph, resigned. The same day, her court-appointed attorney, Sam Ingham, also submitted a position to resign. Her case has brought scrutiny to the system in general. Flaws in her case could reveal larger flaws in the conservatorship system. There is a vested interest in keeping her quiet and disenfranchised. We owe it to her and to our greater society to not become complacent on this issue. For True Crime and Cocktails, I'm Lauren Ash. <laughs> well, oh, well, let me say, you have really blossomed into a beautiful researcher. Thank you. I am now thinking, ah, shit, I guess we should have done this in two parts. <laughs> so you could have kept going. I know. So to Lauren Ash, I say thank you for your research. That was so beautifully pleasure. compiled. I am hearing shattering glass everywhere. And this may sound like a joke, but I am being completely serious. To my family, pack your bags. We're moving to California, and we're going to adopt Britney Spears. <laughs> yep. If that's, we got to get her out of there. I'm not yep. even kidding. If that is what it takes 
to somehow make it so I'm in charge of her conservative ship so that I can be like, whatever you want. If, if I need to be in charge of it so I can say it's over, I can do that. I don't want your money. I just want you to have what you want. Let the mother have her babies. I'm going to say that. Oh, fuck. What a journey. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh. It was intense. It was oh, very intense. Lord. Uh, and thank you, dear listeners. Yes. For taking this journey with us. Yes. As always, make sure to give us a follow on the socials. You can find us at True Crime and Cocktails on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, or on Twitter at Not Detectives. On the next episode... Uh, I love that I'm just buzzing through this yep, for us. Yep, uh, yep. Next episode of True Crime and Cocktails, our June patrons poll pick, Anna Nicole Smith. I've been learning a lot, and folks, the glass shattering shall continue. If you would like to have a say in the next patrons poll, or you're simply looking to spend more of your week with these two chuckleheads, you can check out our <laughs> bonus content at patreon.com slash Cocktails. Lauren, would you like to say goodnight to the people? Goodnight, everybody. Goodnight. Update. Ah, I'm so excited I got to say that. Now listen, uh, because this episode is called Britney Spears' The Story So Far, I would be remiss if I didn't give you an update that has happened since we recorded this episode. Oh, it's all moving so quickly, which is a relief. Just wanted to let you all know that as of last Wednesday, that would be Wednesday, July 14th, Britney was awarded the right to hire her own attorney of her choosing, which I can't believe is such an amazing accomplishment, but it is. And at that hearing, which Brittany called into, she also said that she does have full plans to sue her father, Jamie, for conservatorship abuse, which I could not be happier about. There's lots of things. Again, this is this is updating to the second, uh, so I encourage you to, to keep an eye out for all Brittany news online, but those are two big pieces that I think it was important to include in case you hadn't heard about them. There's lots of things going on. There's rumor that maybe she was sending some coded messages in her Instagram posts that were uh, communicating some anger about her sister, Jamie Lynn. Again, it's so much to keep track of. But I think the big point is, is that this is a big step in the right direction to hopefully get Brittany out of this situation. That's all for now. Reporting for True Crime and Cocktails, this is Lauren Ash. Hi, Adam Peacock from My Neighbors Are Dead here. Each week on My Neighbors Are Dead, I talk to the tertiary characters real and imagined from your favorite horror films. But this summer, we're doing something different. We are taking you to the northern woods of Michigan, all the way up to Whitlow Lake, to bring you the original tale of the My Neighbors Are Dead summer camp massacre. We're bringing back some fan favorites of the show as we try to piece together through interviews with survivors, witnesses, and with any luck, the killer Chad himself. We're going to try to piece together exactly what the hell happened up there at Camp Willow Lake. It starts June 22nd and it runs all summer long. That's the My Neighbors Are Dead Summer Camp Massacre. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. 
Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.